This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. I am tailgating all by myself here at Jags headquarters. Lot J. Is this officially the last tailgate at Lot J right here? I'm doing it. Uh, flying solo here, and we're coming in early on a Tuesday edition, the final day of the year of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Happy New Year, everybody, and the final day is not the final day for Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell, and that has drawn some angst, of course, in the fan base, but Chad Khan making that decision this morning. So we figured, you know what? Let's go live from Jags headquarters. Doug Marone Dave Caldwell are going to speak uh, in just a little bit at about 3 o'clock. We'll have some reaction a little bit later in the show. We want you to chime in as well. I know there's a lot of emotion flying in Jacksonville. And so he said, let's do an extra hour of the show. I'll have to duck out of here to go into that news conference around 3. Austin Lane will take it from there for a bit. And you can join him at Star Star 690-904-362-9901. I am kind of in the parking lot alone, Austin Lane, so I kind of hope this works. Going with the Wi-Fi, a little different connectivity, if you will. But uh, we're trying it, man. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a a, a can of beer, don't have to drink it, but open it, and that way you can say that you were the last person to tailgate in that parking lot for the decade. Last person of the decade to tailgate in that parking lot. That is not a bad idea. Now i got to get somebody to find me a beverage. Maybe someone will bring me one. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Intuition's just down the road. Well, that's a really good point, Coos. It's just right over there. I can take a little jog. In fact, they have a 5K going on downtown. Maybe they could bring me one. Uh, just run one over here uh, to the pickup as I'm on the back of it right in front of the stadium. And that means I would be the last to tailgate in 2019, the last of the decade. And I was the first cannonball ever in the pools, Austin. So I've got a couple of claims to fame this decade here at Jags headquarters. Very great things that you can add to that re- resume. It's, it's, it's constantly <laughs> building, Brent. I mean, those two things right there should set you apart from literally anybody else in the world. So props to you for doing that. Now, if I wanted to be super snarky right now, I said, well, those are the things that you can add to Caldwell Marone's resume, and sometimes <laughs> it keeps you a job. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't avoid well, it. No, and, well, no, and of course, to be fair, I'm sure there's a lot of Jaguars fans right now that would probably want to join you in that parking lot that want to have a beer because they're obviously shocked at the news that's come out today. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, here's the deal, right? It's twofold. We've been telling you for weeks this is the way it was headed, and this is what we heard. Uh, I'm not going to tell you things that I didn't know in terms of we never understand fully what Shad Khan is thinking. And I've said that. I've been very transparent with that. And so we really don't know. But the word coming out of this building, the feeling in this building, the feeling, I think, inside with Caldwell and Marone Camps was that they were going to get another chance in 2020. And that was correct. And that came out this morning when Shad Khan released a statement. They met this morning, and it was a pretty quick meeting. Uh, I would assume because word was around 10 o'clock that they were staying. So it was either a very early meeting or a quick meeting, one or the other. And Shad Khan has made his decision. And I don't think the last two games had any impact on that decision. Uh, I don't think there was anything that someone was going to say uh, probably that was going to change his mind unless it was just egregious. And, and that didn't happen, apparently. But what we don't know is what that plan was that they said and they indicated because Shad Khan, really for the second year in a row, has now said, hey, there's a plan in place, there's basically a mandate to win, and now people will be held accountable. 
He kind of said it last year, Austin. I think what rubs the fan base a little bit the wrong way is even after that statement at the conclusion of last year where he showed he was unhappy, here we are again going into 2020, and it it isn't the same statement, but it's certainly a similar statement. And here's the thing about it, Brent. You know, we kind of echoed all week that what what you've been hearing is that they were going to retain Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone. And, you know, usually what you hear is pretty much the word. And then all of a sudden these reports come out from ESPN saying that um, right before the Colts game that Doug Marone was probably going to be let go. And when I heard that, I'll be honest, I believed it. Because usually, and listen, I've only been in this business now for about a year, but where there's smoke, there's usually fire. So whatever leaked out, I took for word and be like, all right, that, that sounds about right. And I think we all expected that. So I went into this then thinking that they were probably going to be let go. So to be fair, and even though Shad Khan waited until Tuesday to, to announce everything, and the fact that he waited this long kind of proved the point of he was probably going to retain both of them, I'm still sitting here in the studio a little shocked. You know, my jaw is a little bit to the floor just because I still don't get how you can justify bringing everybody back like that. And, and excluding Tom Coughlin, obviously, who's gone now, but still bringing that coaching staff back and bringing the GM back. Well, and I think that's part lies the problem and the frustration with the fan base is we've been debating this for weeks now, right? And yesterday I tried to make a case of what Shad Khan might be thinking, and I haven't wavered from that. I don't think this job is super attractive right now. I think this is this is the equivalent, and again, you're never going to come out and say this. I think there are more positive things positive possibly that both men have done that anybody would like to admit, but I think that happens in any job, and this is a results-driven business. At the end of the day, there's a lot of losing seasons. There's double-digit losing seasons in a row. There was a stretch where you were in first place, had a chance to win the division, and had everything in front of you, and you lost five games at an historic margin. I don't know how that shows good coaching and, and the ability to move forward in a positive way to the owner. He even admitted that in his statement today. So I just don't know even though we've tried to think like everybody. And what I try to do here is try to be logical about it and say, okay, what is the owner thinking? He is a little bit outside the box, I think, in a lot of his thoughts. He doesn't run it like everybody else does in the NFL. He's become very patient. People got all over me today for saying, well, this is a desirable job now in Jacksonville because he's a patient owner. Well, absolutely it's a desirable job if I'm a coach because I know I'm going to get four years even if I fail. I'd much rather know that than one or two years and trying for the quick fix and making decisions on a whim because of that. Now I can long range and make this thing a plan. Anybody would sign up for that rather than a Cleveland Brown situation where you might be out after one year. So there's a lot of things to go through and, and kind of get through the mud on. But then when you do that, Austin, I think you also have to simplify it. And in the NFL, if you lose double-digit seasons two years in a row, you're usually out. If you get in a position to kind of put this thing in, in you know, high gear late in the season and you don't do it, and you finish in a miserable way, and you lose historic proportions, and you got the Dolphins and the Bengals and all these other teams outperforming you really in the second half of the year with subpar rosters, that doesn't usually bode well for the people in charge. So... Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense the way the NFL works. So I can't sit here and tell you, well, this is exactly why Shad Khan did it. I've tried to come up with some of those answers, and I think the one thing that we still are missing from Shad Khan is the why. And I don't think he's getting in front of microphones anytime soon to talk about that. I think we have a statement to go on, and there was very little indication of the why, Austin, on that statement from the owner, Shad Khan. Now, at 3 o'clock, these gentlemen will talk. 
Will they give us a bit of a why? Will they give us their plan? Will they tell us why it all fell apart? They know why. They know how to fix it. Will they tell us how to fix the quarterback position going forward? And now they found the magic dust to get it done in Jacksonville? Maybe they will. At least they're the people we'll hear from uh, in front of microphones in just a little bit. So here's the thing, though, Brent. I don't need to sit in a press conference and hear the why. Because I already know the why. It's the only why that makes any sense whatsoever in this whole situation that's going on right now. The why is Tom Coughlin. Why? The, basically what Shad Khan has done, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but this is, I think, what he's thinking right now. When he met with Doug, uh, Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell, and they sat down, and they had dinner or whatever, and they talked about their expectations, someone had to throw Tom Coughlin underneath the bus and say, you know what? He's the reason why we weren't playing that well. He's the reason why we lost, you know, five games in a row and all that stuff. That's all I can think of. So if you do that and if you put 100% of the blame on Tom Coughlin and you make him to be the scapegoat, kind of like you did with Gus Bradley, that bothers me because at least with Gus Bradley, you had the excuse as an owner. It was like, okay, I see the performance on the field. They're not playing well. Uh, they're very undisciplined. He's a player's coach, but he's not reaching the player's Goodbye, Gus Bradley. I can see that standpoint. But what I can't understand is making Tom Coughlin the complete scapegoat. Don't get me wrong. Tom Coughlin has a lot of effect in that locker room and the culture, obviously. And the players have been very outspoken uh, saying that they were against him. I understand that standpoint of it. But what I can't understand was if it is so bad, if Tom Coughlin was indeed tearing this team apart, if the, if the performance on the field suffered because of it, if 25% of the grievances in the NFL happened from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you're Shad Khan, number one, this is on your watch. You put him in charge. But number two, why not take care of it a lot sooner? Why did it take, you know, the the NFLPA to release a letter saying don't go to Jacksonville for Shad Khan to step in and say, you know what, maybe Tom Coughlin shouldn't be here anymore. If you're going to make him the scapegoat and put 100% of the blame on Tom Coughlin, then you should have got rid of him a long, long time ago. Because I guarantee if he truly was indeed the sole problem, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, and the players in that locker room would have relayed that to Shad Khan much earlier in the season. Hey, I'm not going to try to sell anybody on hope. I'm trying to grasp for hope for everybody, okay? This isn't spin control. This, I, we've been saying for weeks, I can't sit here and defend it. I think the Jags and this decision-making has put us in a difficult decision. I mean, difficult situation. I'm not trying to spin anything. All I'm trying to do is come up with how does it get fixed in there? And I don't have a lot to grasp onto. I don't think you listening have a lot to grasp onto because there hasn't been a lot of evidence from it. We sat here yesterday, went over the roster, Austin, and I don't think this needs to be a complete tear down and just knock it all down and then try to rebuild it. I think there are some talented parts here. I think they have to make a bold move. I think they have to figure out the quarterback spot, and I think that could be married to Gardner Minshew, both things I just said. They have to draft better, especially in the first round, but they have to prove they can do it, and they haven't proven they can do it on a consistent basis albeit for one year, and it was a nice year. It was a fun year, and I never lose sight of 2017. But it has not continued, whether that's because of the roster build or because of the people coaching up the players out on this practice field and inside there on Sunday. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I don't think they all have had the answers, or they would have fixed it by now. But does anything, Austin, give you hope for 2020 moving forward? Anything. I know you're digging deep. But there's got to be something, man, that you can grasp onto and say, hey, if, 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 maybe it does work out. I mean, 
obviously, I think Minshew is probably the biggest draw from that, you know, and then that was a sixth-round pick that Dave Caldwell can kind of put a stamp on. Now, was Dave Caldwell in those pre-draft meetings banging on the table saying, Gardner Minshew's my guy, we got to get him in here? Absolutely not, because there's a reason why Gardner Minshew went in the sixth round. It's because everybody believed that he couldn't play football, you know, or else he couldn't be a starter in the NFL. So I think Gardner Minshew kind of, you know, fell to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and truth be told, they've been making it work. But as far as, you know, the, the sunshine and rainbows club of what I can go with forward, how I can be optimistic, I mean, yeah, you, you have some players in key positions. You have a little leadership uh, pending Yannick Ngakwe. We'll see what happens with Calais Campbell. So from that standpoint, okay, yeah, you have some of those pieces. But guess what, Brent? Every team has some of those pieces. And as, as I diagnose the Jacksonville Jaguars of this year, I saw it in the preseason. I, I even saw it in training camp, and I saw it obviously in the regular season. This was the, the most penalized team in the NFL. And granted, sometimes, like the Kansas City Chiefs last year, you can be highly penalized and overcome that. But the Jaguars don't have the talent. I can tell you right now, they don't have the talent to overcome being the highly penalized team in the NFL. And that's what you saw this year. And that falls on coaching, not necessarily on Tom Coughlin, not on uh, not on the culture that he you know kind of put in place, which was obviously a disaster. It falls on Doug Marone, and it trickles down to the position coaches because at the end of the day, it's the coach's job to get the players ready to play football. And what we saw on a lot of those Sundays, Brent, was players that were out of position, players that were not ready to play the game, and players that made mental mistakes. Now take the talent out of it. Yes, maybe they were underskilled a little bit at the linebacker spot. I don't care. I saw guys that were just not in position. And to me, that falls on coaching. Yeah, uh, I don't have much defense, and I can't wait to hear Doug Marone. We have heard Doug Marone say over and over, Austin, it's on me. I've got to fix it. We've got to do something better. Well, that lasted five, six, seven weeks. Listen, I appreciate Doug Marone. I think he's 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 a cool dude. He's fun. Uh, he keeps it real. He gets how this works. And I can guarantee you this. There's no way he thought he was coming back after those five straight losses. No way. He knows how this league works. He was not thinking he was coming back. But my point is, if you know it's on you and you're trying to fix it and you keep saying that, it's one thing to be accountable, Austin. The other thing is, okay, you didn't fix it. How are you going to fix it? What's it going to take to fix? I mean, the words become shallow and empty. And now you have to do it and say it. And so I can't, I, I only imagine the plan. Here's what I've got, okay? Maybe they're putting Tom Co- Nick Foles on Tom Coughlin. And they're even saying, hey, after London, we wanted to ride with Minshew. Yeah, he had a bad game in London, but we wanted to ride. Maybe Tom Coughlin said, Hey, I think you got to go Foles here. You got to go Foles here. Maybe flip and then and call. Maybe they got some influence, and maybe they wanted Mitchu the whole time. And maybe now they're saying, you know what? We're riding with that kid. He's got the it factor. Yeah, he doesn't have the measurables. Yeah, we didn't spend eighty-eight million dollars. We made a mistake there, but we didn't make a mistake here, and we found our guy, and we're going forward. I don't know, Austin. I mean, I'm coming to come up with something that said Shad Khan was like, you know what? You guys are right. I love that man. I love this guy, and you know Shad does like this guy. And how I many? How can you not like Gardner Minshew? But maybe that was the one thing that said, you know what? We just didn't feel with bringing him in and the moves that were made, and I'm hanging over us, and blah 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 blah. And now moving forward, Minshew's our guy. We're going with him. And did did Shad Khan wrap their arms around that? Again, I'm kind of making stuff up here, folks. We're trying to figure it out. Maybe they shed some light on it in there. I don't know if I'm ready to go in here in 45 minutes and they're going to say, yes, Gardner Minshew is our quarterback in 2020. 
Did they tell Shad Khan that? I don't know. Yeah, and then listen, I mean, obviously Gardner Minshew, from a marketing standpoint, he's intriguing, right? I don't care about how much cash he can bring in. I really don't care if he's featured all over ESPN and doing these special interviews. I mean, that doesn't matter to me. What I care about is the performance on the field. So, yeah, you can go ahead and push the narrative of, like, listen, this kid's got the numbers. You've seen, you, you've seen him in person. He's a special kid. Let's work with him. Let's bring him along, and let's see what we got here. Sure, th- that could be a pretty big slogan, but my, I guess my, another part of my issues here and, and why I'm so frustrated, Brent, is the standpoint of, okay, so say you're Doug Marone and you're sitting in that meeting and you say, well, we got Gardner Minshew here, but what else are you bringing to the table? Because you, you can bring in a new coach with an offensive mindset, you know, the, the, a guy that's ready to kind of change the landscape a little bit, add something fresh and new and be like, oh, yeah, Gardner Minshew's my guy. Let's go. So, like, from the standpoint of you want to plug and, and push Gardner Minshew, that's fine. But other coaches could come in and do that exact same thing. And where I'm coming from is this isn't like a Mike McCarthy situation where he was in Green Bay. He's been out of the game for a couple years. He's had time to reflect and see how the game has changed. And now he's changed his philosophy. He's looked into more analytics. And now he's ex- he's offering some new exciting things. And he'll probably get a new uh, head coaching gig because of that. With Doug Marone, how much can you possibly change in your philosophy, your game planning, and the way you coach in the span of literally the last game against Indianapolis to that meeting with Shad Khan? You can't do it. So I guess it bothers me, Brent, from the fact that he didn't have a PowerPoint presentation saying, you know what, I got something new on the horizon, let's go in this direction, it's new, it's exciting, and it's going to be you know, the, the new trend in the NFL. He didn't do any of that, and that's what bothers me. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I don't think you're alone. I think it bothers a lot of people. It feels a little bit stale. It feels left over. And uh, I just said on social media, and I do feel this way from an action standpoint, we all know this inside a building, right? It's never one person's fault. Uh, it, it's just not uh, in any business. But I've really asked around lately and said, is there something to like a uh, big business where you, you kind of say, hey, it was this person's fault or that person's fault, at least from an aesthetic point of view, from an action point of view that says, you know what, we're not all messed up all over the place. We can do this. It's better to take this part out and then we can do the rest now with this guy out of it. And my, the reason I say that, and I wonder if it's a big business thing or if it's just the way Shad Khan's handling things here in Jacksonville with the NFL, but he's done it twice now. In the ultimate team game, he's basically said, Gus Bradley, this was all your fault. There were a lot of people held over from from the Gus Bradley era. In fact, Gus was the biggest one let go, and outside of that, maybe a couple others here and there. But Todd Wash stayed, Doug Marone became the head coach, Dave Caldwell stayed, you get my point. Well, now, you replace Gus Bradley with one guy, essentially, to kind of fix it. That's Tom Coughlin. Three years later, you've now replaced everything well, not everything. You replace one thing, Tom Coughlin. <laughs> so in the ultimate team game, basically the blame is being put on one person, Gus Bradley four years ago and Tom Coughlin this time around. I think that's ironic. We know that's not definitely the case. You can tell me that Tom Coughlin set a bad culture in here, a bad vibe with the players, but you can't tell me it was all Tom Coughlin. I'm not buying that. Are you going to tell me there's a lot Tom Coughlin here, there, good, bad? Sure. But it's not all Tom Coughlin. But definitely the actions today once again indicate that Shad Khan believes the big fix here is getting rid of Tom Coughlin. Simple as that.
<laughs> I don't know if it's that simple, Austin. Well, and it's not that simple, Brent, because, I mean, let's take football out of this real quick, and let's look at it from any sort of job, right? Let's say the, the owner of a company chooses to fire his boss, okay? And let's say, all right, you're out of here. You didn't do a good job. Goodbye. Well, you got to turn and look at yourself and say, okay, you fired the boss. That's fair. But did a lot of it have to do of the people below the boss, the, the things that happened on the boss's watch, right? And when you look at that, Brent, obviously the on-the-field performance suffered. It suffered greatly. And we didn't see a change in the way that team played when Tom Coughlin was gone. It was more of the same. Now, yeah, the, the Jaguars came out. They beat India at home. Congratulations. You know, it was a big win. It, it, it was a nice bow on the season. Well, it wasn't a nice bow on the season, but it, it was a nice thing to build for the up-and-coming season because those last games actually do mean a lot. You saw it from Yannick Ngakwe, how hard he, he was playing. But from the perspective of, like you said, to blame one person for this whole thing, absolutely not. You, you simply can't do that. And here's the thing. I understand where, you ha- where ideally you want to keep – Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell together because we've seen in the past in the history of the NFL if you fire a coach but you keep the GM or you fire the GM but you keep the coach sometimes those things don't gel right and then you have more front office problems okay but if you mean to tell me that the most penalized team wasn't because of Doug Marone and if you mean to tell me that the linebacker problems the depth problems weren't because of of, uh, Dave Caldwell well then you're lying to yourself so from that perspective, if you really had to, if you really had to put your, you know, your, your hand down and say, we have to make some kind of change because this going forward, it's not going to fly. I don't want any more six and tens. I've already released one statement two years ago saying how we're not going to have any more of those Sundays where, you know, they're just long. Well, here we are again. So from the standpoint of that, then why not just release Dave Caldwell if you think it was more on the personnel? Or why not release Doug Marone if you think it was more of just the team not being disciplined? It's okay to go one and one if you really truly have to. I'm not advising it, but I'm saying to expect the same, to expect a different result this year, Brent, with the same pieces at hand, it's ludicrous. Well, Austin, I will tell you this, and I will totally disagree with you here. I think the one move that would have been worse than this one, and I don't know if fans would agree with this or not, and quite frankly, it's okay if you don't, but I think the worst move the Jags could have made today is keeping one or the other. The absolute worst would have been one or the other. It's all in or all out, in my opinion, and I don't think high on the ranking was all in, but one or the other was the worst option in this for me because now you start this jagged but like what they're doing in, in new york right now with gettleman and maybe that changes but that's not a smart way to do it we've seen that here where you try to fit somebody in and make them work with this guy and see if they can get along here and there and find the mix and the match it's like a freaking dating game and not it's not going to work and uh there'll be a divorce eventually and i, I just don't like that idea so I think this was at least better than that option. Not highly above it, but it was at least uh, better than that option. Hey, we welcome your phone calls as we get an extra hour in on the last day of 2019. Oh, man, what a bad decade in Jacksonville when it comes to the Jaguars outside of 2017. And yet we find some fun in it all the time. I actually like being here and like covering the Jags and like seeing all these fine folks. I just wish, wish, wish the Jaguars would get it right, maybe going into the 2020s. And this certainly doesn't feel good in town today, at least amongst a lot of the fans. Star Star 690 is the number, 904-362-9901. Saqib is on the line right now, and I bet this one will be an emotional one. Happy New Year, Saqib. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Man, I'm pissed today, okay? <laughs> After Shaq released a statement that he did last year, 
that would not be acceptable with all these losses. And he has this guy still come back. He has the same general manager come back that was from 2013 that, that got Jokel as the second overall pick and all these other draft picks that he's got. I'm telling you this, and I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to tell you guys this, too. And I've said it before to other people, too, okay? I will not step foot inside of that stadium until both of those guys get fired, okay? And I'm a Jaguar fan since 1996, okay? I'm, I haven't missed a Jaguar game since 1996, okay? I will not step foot in that side of that stadium until both of those guys are gone. Because I feel like we're going to be 5-11 next year again, or 6-10, and 10, and our, it's going to be disappointing. I'd rather give that money that I give to the Jaguars to my daughter and let her spend it whatever she wants, because they will not get my money. I can promise you that. Sakeem, I have a quick question for you, man, and we appreciate okay. you calling in. Um, say the Jaguars got rid of one of the, the choices, either Doug Marone or Dave Caldwell. W- would that sway your persuasion at all to go to the games again? No, but... Austin, the penalties, that's not Dave Caldwell's uh, fault. We were, le- we were 31st in penalties. That's coaching, okay? You know that. You played in this league for, for a while, too. You played for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You, you're, you have never, when Jack Nario was your head coach, would he accept those penalties like that? I guarantee you he, he will not. Sakeem, okay. No, no, without, without a doubt, Sakeem. But what I'm asking you is, and listen, I'm not making excuses here. All I'm saying is, do you think this falls more on the head coach of, you know, the accountability of the players, or does this fall more on personnel of not having the right guys with the talent in to compete in the NFL? That's my question to you. You know, Dave Caldwell, too, because he's been here since 2013. It's mostly on him. He has to bring, bring in the right guys. And the guys that he brought in, there's been a bunch of busts, Austin. It's been a lot of bust in, from the Dave Caldwell, okay? And I'll go back to the uh, Jokel. Second overall pick, and he messed that up. I know that was his first uh, pick as the general manager, but that was, that was a big, big pick for him, okay? And he messed that up. And the guy's not even in NFL anymore. Look, Jokel doesn't even play football anymore, okay? The second-round pick that he picked up, the, the safety, he's not in the NFL anymore, I don't think, because he played for Atlanta, and I think they cut him, Okay. He, they're not even in the NFL anymore. So he, he picked Ace Sanders. Remember Ace Sanders from South Carolina? Not, he retired. All the guys are gone. And that, that's on general manager. And I, I just, I'm just tired, Austin. As a Jaguar fan, I'm tired. I'm tired of going, leaving in the second quarter. I left in the second quarter a couple of weeks ago when we were getting blown out against Chargers. I don't want to leave, man. I want to stay and root for my team. But this team cannot win, and I'm tired. Sakeem, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Happy New Year to you and the family, and uh, hopefully better things to come for the Jags in 2020. Brett Martin Austin Lane, a special extra hour today here on New Year's Eve, and I'm live from Jags headquarters, tailgating by myself. Might even throw the football around by myself. I got one, Austin. I mean, I, I, I will be a 100% completion rate <laughs> passing to myself. But uh, anyway, sitting on the tailgate, hoping I don't fall off. Hopefully this thing is shut very well or the wind doesn't blow or I don't get too excited. But sooner or later, I'm heading in there. Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone are going to talk about 3 o'clock. We'll have some of the reaction after they discuss things. And what are the answers here in Jacksonville? What are your thoughts? Star, star, 690-904-362-9901. I have a question when we come back. Are the Jags closer to 10-6 and 6 or 2-14? and 14? in your opinion, as they sit at 6-10, and 10, coming off 2019. More to come from Jags headquarters and the studio. Final edition of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. This year, it's next, and it rolls on.
right after this. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Special edition Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Three to six, usually, Monday through Friday. In fact, we were going to take today off, depending on what would happen, because we had the bowl game on, and we've interrupted the bowl game, so apologies if you were listening to that one between uh, Kentucky and Virginia Tech. But we said, hey, you know what, we got to do a show today. We figured the news would be coming out. And then on top of that, Dave Caldwell and uh, Doug Marone are talking at 3 o'clock, so we wanted to get ahead of this a bit. This is the beauty of this radio stuff, man. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us all year long. If you just find it late in the season, hopefully you'll stay with us through 2020. We've had a lot of fun. We've taken it on the road just about everywhere, all over the country. And uh, here we are on the road again to finish out 2019 with a bonus hour as well uh, from, well, Lot J, <laughs> tailgating at JAG's headquarters ahead of the uh, news conference that will take place. I'll jump out and go to that. Got to do a couple TV things as well. Austin Lynn will take you through along with Coos. And your calls are welcome. Star Star 690. I'll rejoin the show a little bit later uh, from here as well. So a lot going on today. We could also check out the year in review that was the Jaguars and, and everything else in sports because it is kind of that time of year. But we know what the, the prominent discussion point is these last couple of days. And really now going forward into 2020. And just from my standpoint, as we welcome back Austin Lane as well from the studios. Austin, you know, I've been around this thing for a bit now, and, well, a dozen years it's been. I'll close out my 12th year uh, here uh, as the calendar flips. And, it, listen, I've had a blast covering the Jags, but I also feel for the Jags fans. This has not been as fun as you hoped it would be. Um, I think be, fun, by the way, sometimes is just being in the mix. It's You obviously want to reach the pinnacle in a Super Bowl and you win playoff games, but being in the mix is important, too. And that's the problem with this franchise over the last dozen years and then some, is they haven't even been in the mix. And so I've kind of turned my... Uh, at least my thinking, and I'm no genius here, but I've tried to figure out what can they do. I've seen a little bit of everything over the last 12 years, and most of it has not worked. So what do you do to flip it and try to fix it? And I wish I could be like that smart guy and fix it and say, go do this. Well, I don't have those kind of answers. I said yesterday, and I've said for the last couple of days, after really looking at other teams in the NFL and what does work, we know the quarterback is, is of utmost importance. We know that's the game changer. But I also do think you have to be bold and, and, and you make moves sometimes that, that aren't popular, aren't trendy, and maybe might not work. Now, that is not a defense of all this. Tom Coughlin, that was a different move. Could you say that was a bold move by Khan? I guess, but it didn't work. Uh, and to me, that was more going back in history than it was going forward and trying to be ahead of the curve. Uh, not only in hindsight, but that was reality. You knew who Tom Coughlin was. And now could you say this is a bold move, keeping these guys when everybody else around the league probably would let them go? I guess, but that's not the kind of bold move I'm talking about. To me, it's about that QB. And I think the Jaguars have got to go forward with Gardner Minshew here. They have got to ride this kid and see if they found something. See if they found a diamond in the rough. See if they found something that, that nobody else figured would work. He is just as good, if not better, than every quarterback in the NFL drafted this year. That includes the Kyler Murrays, the Daniel Jones. And so give it a ride. See what it's like. And you know what? Part of that gamble and being bold is maybe sitting down or cutting a guy that you spend $88 million on and a lot of that money guaranteed. That is not a smart move from a business standpoint, but it's a bold move to be able to say, you know what? We're going with the six-round pick instead of the the uh, million-dollar man. And will the Jaguars do that? Can they do that? Was that part of the plan? 
you know what, Austin? I kind of believe it was part of the plan. I think that's part of staying on board for these guys is they said, look at this draft. We got potentially an offensive rookie of the year, a defensive rookie of the year. We made this work with him from a coaching standpoint. We can get better with him. We're riding with him. And I think that's kind of the one thing that maybe if I was shot, kind of be like, you know what? You did do that. And if you're willing to ride with him, so am I. I'm not sure if I'm right, Austin. I'm just saying that's my perception. And, yeah, that is your perception. But at the same time, when I look at the decisions that were made, and to me right now the biggest decision in the past year that was made that's going to set the team back regardless of what happens is obviously Nick Foles. And if you want to go ahead and put Nick Foles on Tom Coughlin, fine, go ahead and do that. But you got to be crazy if you tell me that it was all on Tom Coughlin because, once again, John Filippo was directly tied to Nick Foles. I think a big reason why Nick Foles chose to come to Jacksonville, number one, obviously, because there weren't a lot of options, but number two, because John Filippo was the offensive coordinator and they had experience working together. So I guarantee when it, when it, came, when it came time to you know bring a quarterback in, who was on the top of John Filippo's list? Obviously, Nick Foles was. So... I'm not sure what's going to happen with the coordinators. You know, they haven't really announced that yet. All we know right now is that Doug Marone is indeed coming back. Do they make coordinator changes? We shall see. By all indications right now, I would have to go off of Brent. I would assume everyone's coming back. I don't think Doug Marone's going to come out and say he's getting rid of Todd Wash. He's getting rid of Filippo. So I understand where if you want to point the finger and blame Tom Coughlin for the Nick Foles thing, okay. But you got to keep in mind, a lot of these roster decisions just didn't fall on Tom Coughlin. A lot of them also fell on Dade Caldwell, and it relied on a lot of input from those coaches as well. What will be interesting is the interpretation of what you just said, Austin. And here's part of the statement today, and I guess it's a good time to dissect this statement a little bit. He said, while our discussions will remain confidential, the decision I am making to keep our staff intact for 2020 has nothing to do with our victory on Sunday and everything to do with my positive meetings with Dave and Doug, the coordinators, and our players, as well as my belief that this is not time to consider an overhaul of our organization. That's really the meat of the statement right there. And he does indicate staff, which means he's talked to the coordinators, Filippo and Wash. I'm thinking he was a big fan of Wash coming out of the Gus Bradley era. He's obviously talked to Doug and Dave, and he even indicated he talked to players. So I think this statement says the staff is coming back and the one curiosity i have about the staff and and maybe from again i'm trying to get in shot Khan's mind which i'm not a billionaire and probably not nearly as uh, smart or, or visionary so that's a very difficult thing for me to do but i i wonder a little bit of this is part of the tom coughlin influence right the blame tom part of this was obviously the players didn't like it right that this yeah. this this 1998 approach and the fines and the amount of fines and, and then the, the medical stuff with uh, like Dante Fowler Jr. So I didn't like some of that stuff. Uh, but I also think when you brought Tom in and some of the meddling that went on with some of the assistants, they did not like that. And then on top of it, the meddling of building Doug Marone's staff. Because a lot of these members of Doug Marone's staff were, oh, hey, you have to have this guy. Or, hey, you've got this guy. Yeah, sure, interview a couple people, but... Uh, Flaherty's coming to be the offensive line coach. Uh, Perry Fuel's going to be back there in the secondary. You know, those are Tom Coughlin guys. Those weren't Doug Marone decisions. Those were Tom Coughlin guys. So, again, I know I'm reaching folks. I'm not trying to sound spinny or, or even defend stuff, but I'm just trying to search for answers. And I do think a lot of this has not been Doug Marone's staff from the get-go. Now, he did a little bit of that with Warhop replacing Flaherty. 
Uh, obviously, fuel goes away. Uh, maybe him and Wash get along really well. From all indications, I think he protected the staff at all times throughout the last five or six weeks, and probably even in these meetings. We'll get more from Doug on that front. But maybe Shad feels not only the Tom Coughlin influence of some of the decision-making or lack of decision-making when he had the, the rubber stamp to approve or disapprove, also, the players disconnect with Coughlin and the way the culture was in there. But also the building of this staff, which really wasn't a maroon build maybe until this past year. Uh, so I, I'm trying to think what else you could blame Tom Coughlin for, but that would at least alleviate some of the onus on Doug Marone potentially if he was actually stuck with some guys on the staff initially. Well, and then that's going to be telling Brent going forward now if there are any decisions that are being made with the coaching staff. you know, And those would obviously probably come from Doug Marone more than anybody since Coughlin is gone now. And that'll be something to wait and see. But I, I will say this. If there is indeed changes, this is the last thing you want to hold out on and take your time on and be patient on. You have to act right now. If you have any kind of doubts whatsoever with your defensive scheme or your offensive scheme and you need a new coordinator, you do it now because every day that's gone by is another day you could be interviewing some new candidates. And in the NFL, it's a game of inches not only on the field, Brent, but also off the field. And if you miss out on a candidate because you took an extra day to kind of contemplate, uh, do I keep him and do I let him go? you got to act right now. So I'm going to be curious to see in this next you know, two days or so if there's any moves that are going to be made. Yeah, and I, again, I think we'll get a little more insight on that coming up in about 20 minutes from uh, Todd Wash, I'm sorry, from uh, Doug Marone on what about the staff. And again, I think from the statement it says, you know what, we're keeping the staff. Uh, that's the, my indication of it right now. I haven't heard anything uh, different. Uh, again, I continue to think there are two big things the Jags can do, at least from a public perception standpoint. Not that they're overly concerned about that. You don't run your business. You don't run your football team based on what the fans always think. Now, listen, fans, don't get mad at me for saying that. I think the Jags should care about you, and they, they obviously you're the customer. Customer's always right. What I'm is you don't make moves to say, hey, we got to make the fans happy right here, so let's do this. That's what I'm saying. There's a fine line between that. Uh, and, and the one thing that wins out overall is making the right decision so you win football games on the field, and everything then takes care of itself. I don't care who's here, how mad you are at them. If they start winning football games in 2020, you're going to come to the stadium, you're going to watch, you're going to be a part of it. It's a lot of fun. I, that's what I believe. Yeah, I mean, and I agree with you there, Brent, but at the same time, you can't care about the fans' opinions, I guess, but then you also can't call the fans out and say they have to still show up, right? There, there, there has to be that viability because you, by you saying that, of the ownership coming out and saying, you know, we need fans to be there, um, having a second game in London is not out of the question. Well, when you say those things, it shows that you are paying attention to the fans. You are taking what they do to heart. So, in my opinion, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, uh, my point again, okay, so my point is you just don't make decisions for the fans. They still have to be yeah. sound football decisions. But where I was going with that is I think if you, you say, hey, we're riding with Minshew, that is something that people around here will embrace. I think most people would like to see that right now. You're not going to get Joe Burrow, okay? It's probably not happening. He's not falling to you. So if you don't have that, I mean, Tua, same thing. He's a risky commodity anyway at the moment. Then you've got these quarterbacks on the roster, and if I've got these quarterbacks on the roster, I'm riding with Minshew, and I think that appeases the fan base to a degree. And I think the other one is Jan, you know? Yannick Ngakwe, you have to figure that out. And I'm not sitting here saying these guys would sign Yannick Ngakwe and say it was Tom Coughlin's fault, we couldn't get him signed, and that negotiation was so bad. What I'm saying is, at least per public perception-wise, 
Let them all make the decision on that in their own judgments. If this regime in the next couple of months can get Yannick Ngakwe signed and make him happy and be a part of this organization, the fans would love that. And it would look like it was Tom Coughlin that muddied up that whole contract negotiation with uh, Yannick Ngakwe. So I think those are two things that you could at least extend the olive branch to the fan base to say, hey, I know you're not happy right now. We've lost a lot of games. We've lost a ton this decade. We've been awful. I know you're not happy bringing these guys back. But if you do this and this, well, I think we can get a little excited about that, especially when the emotion dies down of 2019. Uh, I, I think you can go there, Austin. I'm not sure. Well, so, and here's the thing with Yannick Ngakwe, and I kind of got some flack yesterday because I said if I was him, I would not take the franchise take. I get it. It could be $19, 20000000 million. I understand that standpoint. But what people got to understand is, Football players do not think like the everyday person, right? Even if it was $10 million you get a year, well, dang, $10 million, dude, you're set for life. Your kids are probably set for life. If you're a millionaire, you're good. But what people got to understand that sometimes it's not as much money as you can make. It's what the money says. And if you were to franchise take Yannick Ngakwe, it's saying we want you, but we don't want want you. And at the end of the day, especially the modern era NFL player, they want to be needed, right? Like the, the, they want to feel appreciated because it's the why generation. Why am I here? Why am I getting this much money? Yada, yada, yada. And I think, and listen, I'm not Yannick Ngakwe, and I don't really even know Yannick Ngakwe. I've talked to him a couple times in passing. He's like a pretty cool dude to me. So I don't know him. But I'm assuming he's thinking right now is if I do get tagged, it's showing that they're just trying to tolerate me being here for another year. But I want to get that long-term contract. The problem now is, Brent, and obviously it's going to be contract negotiations. How much does he want? Yada, yada, yada. What, what is like, you know, the pay scale now? Because obviously the price will probably go up a little bit from what it did last year with Frank Clark and Demarcus Lawrence. Because it's, it's a new year and the price goes up just the way it works. But what kind of sets the Jaguars back or could set the Jaguars back is there's not an excuse now. If you brought a new regime in that kind of just put their foot to the ground and was like, all right, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this, the easy thing to do for the new regime would be to franchise take Yannick Ngakwe and say, you know what, we'll take care of you later. We just got a lot in our play right now. We have to get our get our feet acquainted with and everything like that. But since you have the old regime, since you have the head coach and the general manager that have worked with Yannick Ngakwe now for the past, well, three years, I guess Merlin was here Yannick's uh, first year, correct? He would yes. have been, yep. Yeah, so, so now that you've worked with a guy for, you know, three years or so, I mean, you have to get that job done. You, you have to get that deal done, and I'm sure that's what they're implementing when they met with Shad Khan as well. Well, listen, there's plenty of motivation for both. I talked about this yesterday. Doug Marone, you know what? You need to win in 2020. Well, you might want Yannick Ngakwe happy in here. Uh, and I think that also could help Todd Wash if he is around in that defense and you could do some different things, kind of things you've suggested, uh, Austin, uh, throughout the year with this kind of defense and with the skill set you might have for some of those guys, Allen and Ngakwe specifically. And I think Dave Caldwell certainly wants to ink Yannick Ngakwe. It's his best draft pick of all time in terms of a value pick, and one of the best in franchise history. So, no doubt, those men want Yannick Ngakwe here. Now you just got to go get it done. And you might have to overpay, and you might have to ask the owner for a little bit more money. And you know what? You've already done that a couple of times, but this is better money spent than probably the times you did it before with the quarterbacks. Let's go to the phone lines. Tony's on the line right now, and we might have somebody in the minority in terms of the opinion, and that is... These moves might not be as bad as everybody's talking about. What say you, Tony? Oh, Brett, how's it going, guys? And I man, I, I love y'all's show. The, without the lack, without the hyperbole, it makes it makes it for good listening. 
Um, Thank you. So, <laughs> here's what we've got, guys. Uh, you know, Marone has not been a horrible coach. He's not been a great coach. We can definitely do a lot better, but we could also do so much worse. Now, I've gone back and done it just, you know, looking at stuff, man, to try to kind of make the case. I've been playing devil's advocate. The more I've been doing it, I've kind of started to believe my own, believe it a little bit more. So I went back to 2013 and uh, just looked at all the different hires that other teams made back then. And out of the eight teams that were looking for a coach, only one made a good move, man, and that was when Casey picked up Andy Reid. Everybody else is on their third, fourth, and we're not even going to talk about Cleveland. So we're on our second. Uh and, you know, the results, We've everybody wants to dismiss 2017. I get it. It's a, kind of an anomaly, but we still win. And there's a lot of other teams out there that haven't been or have only been once. And, you know, there's we could be doing a whole lot worse. Now, the whole move with keeping them, maybe we finally have a quarterback. And that's, that's really the biggest thing. And we've talked about it on social media, Brent. Having a quarterback is the difference and we might actually have one so let's let's see what we've got before we blow it all the pieces again tony appreciate you listening to action sports jacks on espn 690 good thoughts by the way and happy new year to you man all right happy new year to you guys too. happy new year tony that's a good thought you know well, that's not, listen i've tried to dissect this a lot though austin and i listen i did this yesterday okay and this isn't the way you attack life it's not the way you attack your business it's not the way you attack success but sometimes you do have to do an internal look and say, what do we look like here? What do I look like in the mirror? What do we look like as an organization? And I did this yesterday from that standpoint of this is not the most attractive thing right now in the NFL. Yes, it's Whoa. one of 32. Yeah. Yes, you can find somebody to take it. But it's not the most attractive to get the best candidates out there. But, but and I think Tony's point was Go ahead. I'm sorry. how many great candidates are there out there? And I, it's fair, but... It's not the greatest way to attack it, Austin, but it's also not wrong. First of all, you know, to get back to Tony's point of saying, you know, the, the coaching changes and how Andy Reid went to Kansas City and that was a great hire. Well, don't forget what the Eagles did. The Eagles got rid of Andy Reid, and that was a huge decision. You know, that, that, that was a, a huge risk because he had a lot of success there. They bring in Doug Peterson, and they win a Super Bowl. So I think yeah. Doug Peterson was a great signing by the Eagles. Now, to get back to your point of, well... Hey, can I stop you there for go one ahead. second? Absolutely. Okay. Let me stop you for one second, and, and it won't be much. But uh, what's his name? Howie Roseman was a guy that they took power away, and then they gave it back when Peterson came on board, if I'm not mistaken, much like they just did with Dave Caldwell. Could they be following that model to a little bit of a degree? Okay, go on. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But um, so then, okay, so from that perspective, obviously Doug Peterson, regardless of how much power he has in Howie Roseman, it, it was a great signing. I think we can both agree on that. He's so, a great coach. I think yeah. he's one of the best coaches in the league, quite so, frankly. So you're asking, you know, is Jacksonville really that attractive? Probably not, Brent. Obviously, we talked about yesterday. The New York Giants, probably a little more attractive. Dallas Cowboys, obviously, they're probably the most attractive thing right now, and they're probably doing their due diligence to probably bring in the best candidate possible. But to me, of the NFL right now and the crap show that went on last year with the Washington Redskins, to me, they're at the bottom of the barrel. They're worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars. you got players that want personnel fired. you got players that are fed up with the GM. you got players calling out the head coach. To me, Washington is the ultimate nightmare, even worse than Jacksonville. Now, I get it. Maybe they have a little more storied franchise than the Jacksonville Jaguars. But when you compare that with all this, the, the drama that's gone on in Washington for – it seems like the past three or four years, no head coach in the right mind would want to go coach there, but you have Ron Rivera. And I know what you're going to say. Ron Rivera hasn't won a lot. Well, 
In his eight and a half years of coaching, Brent, he went to the playoffs four times. And in those four times he went to the playoffs, he went to the Super Bowl once. I think any Jacksonville Jaguars fan, I think any Jacksonville Jaguars player right now would take every other year of going to the playoffs and in those four years, obviously, going to the Super Bowl. I think anybody right now would take that. Well, did he go four or three? I thought I th- I've had him for three in nine years. I mean, because this is really ninth year well, uh, that he didn't. Go eight I mean, okay, yeah, he, he didn't coach out the whole season, so you can call it nine. I'm pretty sure it's four years. All right, but uh, I, I, I can check on that. Uh, listen, I, it's it's fine if everybody likes Ron Rivera, and I, I get what you're saying, and I'm not saying that would have been the worst hire of all, but I'm just saying I wasn't a huge fan of the Ron Rivera thing. I, I, I think now for Washington it makes sense because maybe he can get them even back to mediocrity right now is a good thing for Washington, and uh, he's at least, a, a, I think, a good character guy to have in that building where they've had all sorts of messes going on uh, in Washington. I just wouldn't have been a huge fan of it. But, 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 but there but, are guys man, out there that you got to try. Yeah, but what I'm saying is w- would you take every other year of going to the playoffs and winning the division? I would. Again, I, I think because, it's three out of nine years because if no, so, then Doug Marone's been one out of three. No, but it, it's it's four years. 2013, they went 12-4, and four, first place in the NFC South. Remember back in 2014, they went 7-8 and eight with one tie, and they got first place in the uh, NFC South. 2015, okay. they went 15-1, and one, and then 2017, okay. they went 11-5, and five, so four times. I would. So if you're telling me I can go to the playoffs at 7, 8, and 1, yes, I would take that, Coach. <laughs> well, I, I mean, hey, you can go ahead and call it a technicality if you want to, but I can go ahead and say, well, guess what? They play in a pretty competitive division. It doesn't matter what your record is, just like it doesn't matter who they play against. At the end of the day, they got first place in the NFC South. They won the division. Enough said. That's a fair argument for uh, for him. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and and what, uh, He has won big three out of the nine years. Uh, had really good seasons, three out of nine years. I guess my argument for Doug Marone in that same vein is one out of three years, he had a big year, too. Uh, yeah. Now, it wasn't every other year in the postseason, but one out of every three, he had a big year as well. Got him on the doorstep uh, of the Super Bowl, not as good as Rivera's. Again, I think a lot of people would like the Rivera hire. And, and would it be better than Marone? I actually think Rivera's better coach than Marone. I do. Mm-hmm. I do, uh, if you ask me that. But I don't know if it's markedly better, is my point. Um, and I think it would feel like... You're not really moving things forward in, in a big-time way if that's who you got. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I guess my only point is the fact that, listen, Washington, in my eyes, is probably the last place you want to be. Maybe Cleveland as well, just because you know, they've had a lot of turmoil and with the players that they have in Baker Mayfield, that quarterback. you know, Beckham Jr. has come out and said maybe he wasn't the happiest there. So that could be a nightmare as well. But I'm just saying from, from all the 32 teams in the NFL, Brent, if I was an agent and I had every single coach at my disposal – Washington is probably the last place I would want a coach to go ahead there. I would probably I advise against it. But I, I, would, but, I was surprised he took that job, honestly. Well, I, I don't know what attracted him to and that. Exactly. And at the end of the day, the Washington Redskins, they get a guy who, in, in nine years, like you said, he's gone to the playoffs four times and won Super Bowl. So, to me, that's obviously an upgrade. And I guess I'm just trying to prove the point of, listen, I understand this is not the most appealing job in the world right now. There's other guys that are probably going to get better jobs in, in Dallas and, and New York. But you still can get a fantastic candidate, in my opinion, like Ron Rivera, if you just do your due diligence and put effort into it. But the Jacksonville Jaguars chose not to do that. They chose not to do that this year, at least. All right, I've got to go run into the news conference. Uh, when I come back out, I'll share what everybody has to say. We'll hopefully have some sound as well from Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. We're seeing that this thing's headed. Uh, Austin's going to take it from here. Star Star 690-904-362-9901. Austin, uh, we do have out there right now, are the Jags closer at 6-10? and 10? Are they closer in 2020 to 10-6 and 6, or closer to 2-14 and 14 in your mind? 
I'll let you handle that one. Yeah. Uh, I'll join you again in just a little bit. Live from Jack's headquarters and also the Action Sports Jack Studios, we got a head start on the show on the final day of 2019. Three more hours to go right here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I'm Austin Lane, joined by my producer, Coos, in the studio pushing all the right buttons. My co-host and boss, Brent Martineau, right now is currently watching the press conference of Doug Marone and Dave Call will take place. He'll be this bit, momentarily. The, yeah, I was going to say the little bit that they had going on social media just ended up, so Brent should be back soon. So Brent will be back uh, probably within the next couple minutes or so, but we'll have his live reaction, obviously, and I'm dying to hear that. Um, as far as what we've heard so far coming out of this press conference, I mean, all I have to really go off of is what Brent Martineau has tweeted out. And according to his Twitter, um, Dave Caldwell was quoted saying that priority number one is Yannick Ngakwe, which is obviously a good sign because considering of the guys that you lost, Dante Fowler. Now, I get it. He had the off-the-field issues. Some people want to say he wasn't that productive in Jacksonville. But I see a guy with Los Angeles Rams right now that's having over 10 sacks is having one hell of a year. And keep in mind, that was a first-round draft pick that you spent on. Now, I get you you got some stuff back for him. But at the end of the day, you still lost him, okay? And to make it in the NFL, to make it in this performance-based business, you need to retain the guys that you draft, the commodities. And Dante Fowler, one of those guys that they didn't keep. Jalen Ramsey, another guy, first-round pick, you know, face of that defense for a bit Arguably face of the franchise until maybe Gardner Minshew came along. But Jalen Ramsey, an, an all-pro talent level type guy, gone once again. Yes, you did get reimbursed for him, but you have to make sure those draft picks actually add up and you get what you want back for him. You've also lost Telvin Smith. Now, was that strictly on Tom Coughlin? Did Telvin Smith and him have, kind of have some gripes? Maybe, maybe not. At the end of the day, Talman Smith, though, is not here. And once again, that's another Pro Bowl type of guy that you drafted late in the rounds. Looked to be a fantastic draft pick, but guess what? He's no longer here right now. And then enter Yannick Ngakwe. I get paying, well, I don't say I get paying Miles Jack, but they paid Miles Jack, okay? And the big thing with Miles Jack and the reason why he really slipped to the Jaguars was because there was the injury concerns, right? There were some combined medical guys that said Miles Jack maybe had three to four good years of that knee and it could be a ticking time bomb. The Jaguars took a risk. And what has been the thesis of today's show and yesterday's show of the teams that we talk about that are successful? They take risks. Yannick Ngakwe, I'm sorry, Miles Jack was a risk. And the fact that he's still playing, and I, great, I get it, he didn't play the entire season, but he's in good shape for next year. The fact that he hasn't had a significant knee injury, knock on wood, is showing you that the risk is paying off. Now, is he playing out of position? You know how I feel about that. That's an argument for another day. But at least you have kept Miles Jack, who was a pretty coveted part of that draft. The other guy, Yannick Ngakwe. And to me, Yannick Ngakwe is the most important part for a few reasons. Yes, Miles Jack is the middle linebacker. But when you think of a guy who you see him in, in the media, um, players seem to gravitate towards him. He's a very outspoken individual. He's a very high-energy guy. Not saying that Miles Jack is not, because Miles Jack, in fact, is a captain. But I think especially with Clayus Campbell, maybe or maybe not being here next year, 
the next guy to step up for the leadership role on the defensive line, which I think is the most important part of that defense, is Yannick Ngakwe. And the fact that Caldwell has come out and said priority number one is signing Yannick Ngakwe, that's off to a good start. Now, you still have to agree, right? And this is this is the same Dave Caldwell who probably had some input on the contract going out this year, and they didn't agree on it. So there's probably going to be some push and some shoving to get this contract done. But at least Dave Caldwell understands, and at least that organization understands, just how important Yannick Ngakwe is. If you want to take a positive on it today of keeping Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone, it's the fact that they realize how special Ngakwe is. And if a new regime was to come in here and evaluate the talent, they may mis-evaluate Yannick Ngakwe and send him packing. So props to that. Another thing I've taken away from the press conference that uh, Brent Martineau has tweeted out, and once again, that's at Brent at AS Jax, that's Doug Marone thinks that the staff will be evaluated. Now, I don't like the fact that Doug Marone says, I think staff will be evaluated, because the staff needs to always be evaluated. Players are always being evaluated in the off season or during the season. But, of course, the staff needs to be evaluated. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that you could see a a D.C. change? You could see an offensive coordinator change? I would hope so. I would hope one of those things changes a little bit. I think you can make arguments for both being changed. And, once again, Todd Walsh, I'm a huge fan of him. I got to play for him a little bit. But let's be honest. The defense was supposed to be the calling card of the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. They were supposed to lead them. And to me, the defense was the biggest disappointment of this season. And when we're talking about seasons, in my opinion, once again, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars of this season was probably the most disappointing season in franchise history. Not only from the the off-the-field distraction kind of stuff, but from the underachievement, from the expectations that were set, not only by the, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but also from the team. And then uh, another thing I'm taking away from this, too, as well, is apparently, and I'm not sure who it is, I hope it's not Brent Marno himself, but a phone went off in the press conference, and Doug Marone said that's a $500 fine. I did send him a text, so... Oh, so maybe you instigated it. I might have. Yeah, but then uh, I guess Doug said that uh, he ended up reducing the $500 fine now that Coughlin's gone. So from my interpretation, once again, we'll get Brent Marno on here in a couple minutes, I guess there was a few jabs taken at Tom Coughlin. Okay, fantastic. And and that's great. Take your jabs. Go ahead and point the finger if you want. But once again, I go back to my original argument earlier in the show today. You can take jabs at Tom Coughlin all you want, and you can kind of give away this perception that he was the big issue why the Jacksonville Jaguars are not successful. But then my argument is, where was the communication stating that? Where was the communication of the players? Where was the communication of Doug Marone? Where was the communication of Dave Caldwell to go to Shad Khan, to go to upper management and be like, guess what, man? We understand that you made the decision to bring Coughlin is to bring Coughlin in, but I'm here to tell you that it's not working. The players don't like it. The head coach, Doug Marone, doesn't like it. And I'm not sure how Dave Caldwell feels about it, but obviously probably not the biggest fan because the team wasn't winning. So you can take jabs at him now if you want. But my question is, when you had a problem with him when he was in the building, where were those guys that came forward and tried to go against him and say, we have to get him out of here? It took a grievance gate. It took the NFLPA stating that 25% of the grievances came from Jacksonville to get Tom Coughlin fired. 
My point is, why not go on before that? Um, Kuz, we got anything else coming out of the camp right now of the press conference? I actually have the comment about Jan if we want to play it. All right, let's get into it. All right, hold on one second. Let me, let me, I guess I shouldn't have guaranteed you that because I didn't have it fully. Putting me on the spot. I love it. I think you guys all know in this room how uh, both Doug and I feel about Yannick and, and through our conversations over the years. And um, uh, he's a tremendous player. He's he, even a better person. Uh, how he handled his business this year was tremendous. But that I would say that's priority number one to make sure that he comes back to Jacksonville and, and he's a Jacksonville Jaguar. So um, hopefully we can get that done uh, where he's here for a long period of time. Key word right there. And Kuz, that's actually great that you played that audio because I, I – I can work with that audio right there, man. I, I can work with that. It beats the heck out of a Brent Martineau tweet. No offense to this Twitter account. It's fantastic. But I can work with that audio right there. I was looking for one key word in that press conference of what Dave Caldwell just said. And he said it. A long-term deal. We're going to keep him a long time. It'd be one thing to say, of course, we want Yannick Ngakwe. Okay. Well, you can franchise take him. But the fact that you use the verbiage of a long-term deal, that's a positive. And if you're a Jaguars fan, and if you understand the game of football, you should be excited for that going forward. But once again, I can't help but go against the grain here a little bit and ask this question. If you knew how special Yannick Ngakwe was, Doug's sung his praises many times. Dave Caldwell just did the same thing. I believe Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell are on the same page about Yannick Ngakwe. The other person who was put in charge to run your football team and Tom Coughlin, I watched Tom Coughlin go through a press conference and said, Yannick Ngakwe has to play better. You know, he has to be held accountable. And Tom Coughlin essentially just called out Ngakwe. And I'm not going to give Tom Coughlin any crap for mispronouncing his name because, dude, I, I probably do that myself. I probably haven't pronounced Yannick Ngakwe's name right one time on the show so far this year. But I'm saying if you knew how special Yannick Ngakwe was and you knew how important it was to sign him to a long-term deal, and this is Dave Caldwell talking, and I assume Doug Marone feels the same way, and I assume the defensive coordinator Todd Wash feels the same way. Well, then why would you let him slip and why would you cease communications? Because once again, if this does all fall on Tom Coughlin, and if we're pointing the finger at Tom Coughlin and saying, you know what? It's Tom Coughlin's fault why the, the, the talks and negotiations dwindled. It's Tom Coughlin's fault is why Yannick Ngakwe right now maybe doesn't want to be here if he's going to franchise take. It's Tom Coughlin's fault that Yannick Ngakwe hasn't been secured and locked down as a long-term Jaguar yet. Maybe that's all Tom Coughlin's fault. But once again, if you're Dave Caldwell, if you're Doug Marone, if you're Todd Wash, why wouldn't you go to Shad Khan and say, listen, I know Coughlin maybe set up the screen of where we're not talking Ngakwe right now. He's got to, quote, unquote, prove himself some more. But this kid's special. We got to sign him to a long-term deal. And from what we've heard out of camp, nothing like that took place. Now, maybe it did behind closed doors. And maybe Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell did go to Shad Khan and say, we got to start talking to Yannick Ngakwe again. But I, I, I wholeheartedly feel like that didn't happen. Because if Doug Marone or Dave Caldwell went to Shad Khan and said, we got to start talking about Yannick Ngakwe again, well, guess what? I feel like Shad Khan would have started talking to Yannick Ngakwe again. So the fact that you had a guy that was in power that ceased communication, that 
probably for lack of a better word, messed up the deal this year with the Anakin Gakwe and Tom Coughlin. Once again, yes, it may be Tom Coughlin's fault, but it happened on Shad Khan's watch. And also, Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone could have came forward and said something about it. So this is kind of interesting, actually, because another clip from Caldwell kind of made it sound like they are now all going to directly report to Khan. I'll I'll play it for you. Let's hear the clip. Moving forward, I'm going to have a direct line to Shad, uh, kind of like I did earlier, and um, and with Doug and, and the three of us, and we'll answer directly to to Shad. And I think um, Tom was great in a lot of aspects uh, for me, um, both personally and professionally. Um, but uh, this structure here will be, will allow us to, um, you know, communicate directly with the owner and um, and be able to uh, put our plan forward to him with Doug in a collaborative effort. I mean, could, could I scratch my eyes anymore out of frustration after hearing that? But of course, but of course the line of communication needs to go from owner to GM, from owner to head coach. That's how the NFL works, okay? And if you're talking about communication, yeah, we didn't see a lot of communication this year on the field, obviously, right? Especially on the defense. You saw back-to-back-to-back Tommy Namsky 200-yard games because of the lack of communication. You saw the mental penalties. You saw penalties over here, penalties over there. Well, that's all stems from a lack of communication. And then we saw a lack of communication with Doug Marone at press conferences having to answer questions that he had no jurisdiction to answer. He was asked about Jalen Ramsey getting traded. Wasn't his call. I'm sure he would have loved to keep Jalen Ramsey. But once again, the line of communication wasn't there from top to bottom, from top to middle. Then we had to hear Doug Marone talk about the Tom Coughlin stuff. Once again, not his jurisdiction. Once again, he's looking down the hall. Somebody, please come help me. This is not what I want to talk about. But nobody came. Lack of communication. So, of course, there better be different communication going forward. If we've learned anything, and if I've said anything this entire year, it's the fact that you have to have communication to be a successful football team. You have to have communication to be a successful business in anything you do. So, yes, obviously communication needs to be key. Communication should have been there this past year. It shouldn't have been Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, report to Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin reports to Shad Khan. That's not how this works. And if players are upset, if players are disgruntled about the culture that Coughlin put in place, well, then it shouldn't go players go to Doug Marone, Doug Marone goes to Tom Coughlin, and then Tom Coughlin goes to Shad Khan. It should be players go to Doug Marone, Doug Marone's got the best feeling of that locker room, and then Doug Marone goes to Shad Khan. And that sound clip right there leads me to believe none of that went on. I'm here to tell you right now, you cannot run a successful NFL franchise if you do that. So props, welcome to 2019, way to be forward thinking, but of course there's going to be communication. So, Doug, I've just got – I'm going through the audio now yeah. from Jaguars.com, um, and Doug is actually just speaking about uh, the communication or just did speak about the communication, so yeah. I'll play that too. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, so we might have to use the dumb button. Okay, well, hit, hit me with it, man. See what we got here. In the last couple of years, you know, especially, you know, this past year of the communication between the players, uh, I have a clear vision of – 
of the type of communication that I want with our players from different heads of the organization, meaning the people that are touching them. Uh, I think that we can do a better job there and create a, uh, a better environment where you can see our players, and I think we all saw a difference in them, and I pointed this out in our last team meeting. Um, you know, that, that last game, and again, um, you know, I think they brought out, well, hey, you played differently. You know, we were down 11. We were down in that game. But yet you saw the players, um, the emotion, the fun that they had, things of that nature, um, you know, still be able to go out and play like that but have the discipline during the week to make sure that we can train like that and get them prepared like that. So um, there's a lot of things that, you know, is going to, that are going to be looked at. Uh, there are a lot of things that uh, I can, I believe, and I know that I can get done um, with some of the changes that are going to be made to do a better job for the coaches and the players. That's Doug Marone speaking of communication and I guess finding the right formula to have the on-the-field performance 17 weeks into the NFL season, and I, and I guess you finally found the right formula and the right communication to have winning results. And that's great. I mean, I mean I, honestly, I'm sitting here wholeheartedly optimistic, hoping that, you know what, maybe something clicked the last week of the season, and you can use that going forward. And I'm going to sit here and be optimistic and say, you know what, maybe you have found the right formula, and maybe you did relay that, that kind of formula to Shad Khan and why you're going to be successful next season. I want to be optimistic there. But once again, I'm a realist. And if you need to tell me that the formula finally clicked and the lines of communication clicked in that locker room, week 16, the last week of the NFL, well, week 17, the last week of the NFL season, Something's up, man. Okay? Where was that kind of thinking when you were fighting for a division title? Where was that kind of thinking when you're on a three-game skid going into a five-game skid? It took you 16, seven, it took you 16 games to figure that out? Come on, man. Come on. Oh, Coos, man. I'll tell you what. Brent better come back on here. I'm going to have a heart attack, man. I'm doing like my best Stephen A. Smith impression right now. I'm going to lose someone, my voice. Someone did comment Stephen A. Smith, and I wasn't sure what they were referencing. Oh, I'm sure they're probably saying I'm a Stephen A. Smith clone, and to be fair, that's the last person I want to be because, in my opinion, he's more of a character than he's actually, you know, uh, a person. But, uh, man, Jaguars got me going there, dude. When we come back on Action Sports Jackson, ESPN 690, more of the fallout, you know, more of people's thoughts more of my thoughts brent martino is going to join us talk about that press conference that just took spot and also i want to hear your calls i want to hear your i want to hear your opinions whether they're good bad or indifferent talk to me tell me what you got 904-362-9901 espn 690 we get back you know i think a lot goes into what we're doing right now um self-evaluation i think that you know throughout the past couple of weeks and the conversations that i've had uh with Shaw, tony and, and as well as with dave you know we've talked a lot a lot of things of evaluating the coaching staff evaluating myself first which is the first thing that i normally do after the season's over looking at the schematics of, of what we're doing in, in all three phases of our game i think that those are things that obviously we have not done a very good job of these past two years that uh, we have to work together to get done. That is the man who will probably be doing a lot of celebrating tonight as he's been informed that he has indeed kept his job, head coach 
Doug Marone talking about the evaluation process and uh, I guess kind of taking some self-reflection, looking in the mirror a little bit. And to be fair, that, that's nothing new. I mean, of course, after every single season, you have to evaluate. You evaluate your coaching philosophies. You evaluate the talent on the field. And you evaluate the the, the, the game film. I mean, that's that's what every single organization does. And my point going forward, if you're going to evaluate and you're going to watch film and you're going to analyze that film of a 6-10 and 10 team, you don't need to be a genius to say there's going to be a lot more negative than there is positive. And if that is the case, and if you can wholeheartedly, if you're Doug Marone, if you can wholeheartedly watch that film and say, you know what, that player missed that tackle right there on Tom Coughlin, but he's gone now, we'll be all right. If you do that, you're lying to yourself. So I agree. you got to take a big look at yourself, and you got to wholeheartedly be fair with yourself and say, there's a lot that's got to change around here. A lot. Because 6-10, and 10, it ain't going to cut it. It shouldn't have cut it this year. You got lucky. You still have your job. Now what are you going to do to fix it? Uh, I think we got a caller calling in here. Because uh, we got Aaron on the line, I, I think. Aaron, what's up? Hey, Austin. appreciate everything you and Brent do, man. I uh, just wanted to say that uh, Doug, he was under Gus Bradley. Then he was under Tom Coughlin. And I wonder how much the influence of his philosophy is going to change. Uh, Dave Qualo, when it comes to free agency and draft, and uh, the direction of this team is going to change because he's full, fully holding the reins. I mean, Aaron, thanks for calling him, man. I appreciate it. And listen, that's a fantastic point because, like I kind of talked about earlier today, one has to think at least a little bit with Tom Coughlin how much Doug Marone went out of his comfort zone a little bit to try to gain the players' respect, to try to right this ship that was clearly steering in to a giant rock in the ocean just because of what Tom Coughlin was doing. So one can question, is the Doug Marone that we saw during training camp, is the Doug Marone that we saw on the sidelines this year, and even maybe some of the game philosophy with the Doug Marone that we saw this year, was that truly him? Or was that induced because of Tom Coughlin? And I can tell you right now, sitting here, I hope it's induced by Tom Coughlin because there needs to be a complete 180 of the way he does things, obviously, because you can't go 6-10 and 10 again. So I, I get what you're saying. And I guess if you want to kind of find that great, you know, that silver lining, if you want to buy your ticket to the Sunshine and Rainbows Club a little bit, if you want to get on board before it leaves the station, I guess kind of like our caller Aaron here was saying, you can question how much of this has been Doug Marone. Has he had complete say? Has he had complete control? And is this truly the first year that Doug Marone will get to, quote-unquote, run the team? I don't have the answer for you. Maybe some of the players do, but I don't. I just can go off of what I've seen on the field, and what I saw on the field was a team that, yes, went 6-10, and 10, a team that was hampered by Tom Coughlin, but a team also that made a lot of mental mistakes and a lot of undisciplined mistakes, and that falls on the head coach. When we come back, we'll be joined by Brett Martineau here momentarily, coming back from the press conference, getting his fresh takes, his fresh thoughts of what transpired here in the past hour, and more of your calls next on ESPN 690. It's going to be challenging. It's a not. That's nothing we haven't faced before. Um, we've done it before in um, 16 to 17. And um, when we first got here, we we had a lot of holes to fill. We don't have nearly as many to fill 
as we did in 13, 14. Um, and we have the the assets in the draft capital to do that. We have two first round picks. We have an extra um, fifth round pick this year, and then um, we'll we'll be in a good situation from our cap standpoint too if we need to go out and get free agencies and fill some holes before the draft. Jacksonville Jaguars GM Dave Caldwell. I'll be honest with you, he, he's not wrong in that aspect. You know, you, yesterday we got into the discussion a little bit of where I broke down the team and I went position by position. And do you do a complete overhaul, tear it down, build it back up? Or are there pieces in place, are there pillars in place that you can expand off of and not have to do a complete rebuild? And I think after my evaluations of both the offense and the defense, I came to the conclusion that on defense, there's five question marks. Now, a question mark can mean like a Clayus Campbell where will he be back next season or with the price tag, will he go somewhere else? A question mark could be Marcel Darius coming off that ab injury. I know he's doing great, but is he 100%? Going forward now that Doug Marone's here, do you have a chance of keeping him? A question mark could be the linebacking core. Just how good can they be? Do you have to address that not only in the draft, but also in the free agent market? So those can all be question marks. And from what I counted, you have five of them on defense. The other side of the ball on offense, to me, you have six question marks. Now, a lot of that has to do with, is D.D. Westbrook going to be the real deal? Is he going to up his game up next year? Or is who we saw this year who he really is? Is Gardner Minshew going to be successful? I think so, but we have only one year of a sample size. So there's a lot of question marks from that standpoint as well, and I counted six. So if you have 11 question marks out of 22 guys, half your team right now, and yeah, of course, special teams as well, but let's be honest, we're talking offense and defense here. If you have 11 question marks, does that require a complete overhaul, a complete rebuild? And I actually agree with Dave Caldwell in that soundbite where I say, you don't. I think you have the pieces in place at least, and let's be honest, all those question marks are not going to be yeses. Some of those are going to be no's. Some of those are going to be no from the talent standpoint, and some of those are going to be no's from keeping those players. But all things considered, assume half of those question marks turn into yeses and they end up working out for you, which they should. You have a team going forward. So I agree with Dave Caldwell there. My biggest gripe of what I think the team needs to seriously, seriously look at. And, and yeah, I get you got to always evaluate the talent and you have to draft, right? Especially with a, a lot of draft capital this up and coming year in the draft. But my biggest argument is you have to look at your schemes right now. And more specifically, because I'm a defensive guy and I think this year the defense underachieved more than anybody on this team. I think you have to evaluate what kind of scheme you're running, and if it's the best fit for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have to evaluate Miles Jack. You have to ask yourself, around the league, is the most athletic guy, hands down on your defense, is he a middle linebacker? I think every single team in the NFL would say, no, our athletic guy is, most athletic guy is not a middle linebacker. He's either an outside linebacker, he might be a safety, but our most athletic guy play middle linebacker? No. You have to ask that question. You have to ask the question if the scheme that you run right now, is it starting to be behind the times? But Austin, you're probably wondering to yourselves, the San Francisco 49ers run the exact same scheme. And I'm here to tell you, 
No, they do not. Yes, their base defense is based off some of the principles that were ran in Seattle. It was based off some of the principles that are ran in Atlanta and based off some of the same principles that are ran in Jacksonville. But the big difference between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the the players that they have right now on that roster and the San Francisco 49ers, who have the best, if not one of the best defenses in the entire NFL, is the fact that the 49ers saw what they had on their defensive line and they said, you know what, our base defense, it's not bad. But it's not going to win us football games. We need to throw wrinkles at the opposing team. We need to adjust to what the NFL is becoming. What is the NFL becoming? It's becoming a pass-first league. And when you become a pass-first league, you have to address it with pass rushers. Hence why the San Francisco 49ers implemented the Crash 9 technique. Now, is it perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm here to tell you as a former player who played in the Crash 9 technique in Detroit, who's seen it play in Philadelphia, I'm here to tell you first and foremost that the Crash 9 technique, being a pass rusher, is the best. It's the most fun defense that you could play in because everything is stressed in going to the quarterback. You stop the run on the way to the quarterback. You get in your track stance and you go to the quarterback. Sure, the run can come to you, and so be it. you got to stop the run. But everything is geared towards causing chaos in the backfield. And if you watch the San Francisco 49ers this year, they run some of that crash nine technique. Why? Because one of their defensive line coaches that I actually played for in Detroit is running the exact same thing that we had in Detroit. Now, yes, that's a wrinkle. They're not primarily a crash nine technique type defense. And to be fair, I've watched my fair share of 49ers games this year. Sometimes the crash nine has hurt them. And I'll be honest with you, every single defense is going to have its pros and cons. I would say the giant con of a crash nine defense is that sometimes if you're not disciplined, the run gaps are going to be there. And that's what you see in San Francisco this year. So I'm not saying the crash line defense is like this new school, oh, it's a world beater. But I'm just saying the 49ers have had success with it. The Philadelphia Eagles with Schwartz have obviously had success with it. And it's something where if you're a defensive coordinator and if you're Todd Wash and you keep your job, you seriously have to evaluate of asking yourselves, what can we do to go to go forward? And I'm here to tell you first and foremost coordinators, position coaches, and even some head coaches are the most stubborn individuals in the entire world. They think that no matter what an offense or a defense can throw at them, their way will win 100% of the time, and usually it falls on the players. Well, I'm here to tell you as a former player, that's not the way it works, okay? The NFL, it's always adapting. It's always changing, and it's a copycat league. And every single year, there's some new kind of wrinkle. There's some new kind of it thing, whether it's on offense or on defense as well. And I'm here to tell you first and foremost that if you do not get with the times, if you stay with, you know what, this defense that we're playing here, Seattle won with it back in whatever, the early 2012 or 2013, whatever it was, Seattle won with it. That's great, but that was how long ago? That was so long ago. The game has changed now. The game changes every single year. So from a defensive standpoint, if I'm Todd Wash, I seriously look at myself in the mirror and I ask myself, what can I do to change the game going forward? How can I change the game in an offensive-driven league? And how can I set my players up for success? 
Now, is the answer the Crash 9 defense? Well, it would implement both defensive ends in Yannick Ngakwe and Josh Allen. I wouldn't be mad at that. Is the solution a 3-4 defense getting both those players in the field at the same time? I don't have the answer for you of what the, the, the end-all, be-all defense should be. My only thing is I want to see players be put in their positions to be successful. And in my opinion, I don't think Miles Jack has been the most successful playing middle linebacker, and I don't think you're the most successful if you do not have Yannick Ngakwe and if you do not have Josh Allen on the field at the same time. From the offensive perspective, you got to ask yourself, if you're John Filippo going forward, I'm tied to Nick Foles. Nick Foles is a big reason why he's, you know, N- N- Nick Foles is kind of why he came here is because John D. Filippo was here. And if I'm John D. Filippo, i got to ask myself, am I willing to cut those ties and go with Gardner Minshew? And that's a very serious question because you got to understand it. When you win a Super Bowl, that's a bond right there. Okay. When you coach a Super Bowl MVP and you're John D. Filippo, that's a bond. And I honestly don't know John D. Filippo that well, so I'm not going to speak for him. But from my standpoint, I feel like if you're John D. Filippo, it's hard to just say, you know what? Gardner Minshew's our guy. Yeah, I kind of brought Nick Foles here. Yeah, we have a history. But uh, I'm, I'm willing to look past it. Nick Foles, man, I love you. We want a Super Bowl together. But, you know, on with the new. Sorry, man, Gardner Minshew. Enjoy the bench. I have a hard time seeing John D. Filippo do that. Maybe he will. Maybe he's got no issue doing that. Who knows? But I'm just saying a former position coach of a Super Bowl MVP who you really literally kind of catered, who you kind of coaxed to coming to Jacksonville, now as a backup quarterback, I have a hard time selling that. And also don't forget from Nick Foles' perspective, do you think Nick Foles even wants to be in a quarterback battle this year in Jacksonville? Do you think Nick Foles wants to lose a quarterback battle and then be the backup quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Do you think Nick Foles wants to go from winning a Super Bowl in Philly, having a great culture in Philly, to come to Jacksonville and ride the bench? Absolutely not. So you got to ask yourself this as well. If you do choose to go with Gardner Minshew, and if you do choose to sit Nick Foles, what is that going to do for the team? We'll see. Would it, would it be ver- worse reversed if they do that and and go with Nick Foles over Minshew? I mean, listen, to me, that's not the realm of possibilities. And, and to me, it all depends who you keep on as a coordinator. Like I said, I think if you keep John Filippo, I think Nick Foles has a better chance of being the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars than any other offensive coordinator coming in. You know, so there's a percentage there. Obviously, I think they go with Minshew. I think Minshew was the big pawn that this coaching staff, this front office kind of dangled in front of Shad Khan and said, hey, we, we got a shiny toy right here. Go with this. Okay, we'll see. But I'm just saying from John D. Filippo's perspective, from Nick Foles' perspective, there is history there. There is a chemistry there. And I'm curious to see if John D. Filippo, in fact, does stay on how that chemistry kind of pans out. Because we have some comments uh on YouTube or on Facebook or something like that you were talking about? Well, there was one specifically about Jan, and I, I think it's alluding to, like, the the pay me video that was kind of going around yeah, from yeah. the game. Yeah. But they were saying that Rock Nation is the reason he's acting like that. Uh, and I guess I wanted to get your opinion. Interesting. Listen, once again, I, I said before on the show, I don't know Yannick Ngakwe. 
Okay. Um, I've talked to him a couple times, said what's up to him a couple times, but I've, I've never had a, a deep conversation with Ngakwe. I'd love to, man. I'd love to sit and pick his brain. Maybe one day we can have him on the show and we can go back and forth for a one-on-one and just, you know, player to player. I, I'd love to get his input on some stuff. But from the guy that I've watched come into the Jaguars organization, from the guy that I've seen in the locker room, from, from the guy that I've said what's up to in passing, and from what some of his teammates have told me about him. I do have that going for me. I don't think this is a rock nation thing, okay? I don't think this is an agent whispering sweet nothings into his ear saying, dude, you're worth this much money. You got to go. Like, you're worth this much money. What I think you have with Yannick Ngakwe is a guy who came from a small town in uh, I think he's from D.C., right? I don't know where the guy's from now. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think he's from the D.C. area, if I'm not mistaken. And you have a guy who goes to Maryland. And you have a guy, for lack of a better word, and listen, I, I watched him play in the Big Ten because obviously yes, DC. Uh, he's from D.C. And listen, I'm a... I've seen Maryland play. I watched him play because I'm a Badgers fan, obviously, so I, I was close to the Big Ten. And I knew who he was coming out for the draft. And you had a guy who kind of went unnoticed, right? So immediately, anytime you have big numbers in Maryland and you do pretty well and you're the leader of that team and everything like that and you think you may go first, maybe second round, and you drop, well, that gives you a chip on your shoulder. Maurice Jones-Drew had the exact same thing. When Maurice Jones-Drew was passed up by 32 teams, he used that his entire career. And I think with Yannick Ngakwe, you have the exact same thing. You have a guy who came into the NFL pissed off. You had a guy who came to the NFL, who came to the Jaguars organization that was like, I've already been disrespected. So from the get-go, he's got a chip on his shoulder. Now, fast-forwarding, once again, I don't think this is Rock Nation saying, dude, you worth this much money, you worth this much money. If there's anything true about football players, is they all talk. I'm not talking about the guys in the locker room, but of course teammates talk. But I'm talking about guys around the league, all right? There's always dialogue, whether it's with social media or phone calls or seeing guys at parties during the offseason. There's always the dialogue going. It's not just Rock Nation saying you're worth this much. It's other players around the league at his position saying, dude, I got this much money. Oh, yeah? I got this much money. They're giving me this kind of bonus incentive. They're giving me this kind of bonus incentive. When that keeps piling on, piling on, and piling on, and you watch your peers, you watch the guys that you talk to go get paid, and then all of a sudden Yannick Ngakwe is sitting at his locker wondering, wow, well, I just had a fantastic game. I'm still on my rookie contract. Of course you're going to think, man, I should be compensated a little more. So to me, this isn't a rock nation thing. This is a guy who's talked to his peers, who came out of college with a chip on his shoulder, who is a hardworking, prideful, small-town individual, what I consider a blue-collar guy who wants to be compensated. Take the agent, take rock nation, take all that out of it. This is a Yannick Ngakwe decision, in my opinion. I think we're joined now by Brent Martin. Brent, what's up, dude? Hey, what's happening, man? Uh, thanks for uh, taking care of that the last, oh, I don't know, 75 minutes or so. Hope it went well. Uh, what did it, catch me up on your thoughts. Uh, I know some folks have been listening, uh, rightfully so, as they should. 
Yeah. Um, did you hear any of it? Did you see what was coming out of there? And do you have any impressions of what we just heard, which was about a 20 or 25 minute news conference uh, from Doug Marone and, and Dave Caldwell? Yeah. So I guess to try to break down the last hour and a half or so that we've been talking. I mean, first of all, I guess I did my best Stephen A. Smith impression because I went on some giant rants here and, oh, I love and, it. and got pretty passionate as some of the fans were commenting on. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm glad you're back now because I'm starting to lose my wind a little bit and I'm starting to have a hard time breathing, man. I don't, I don't know. Stephen A. Smith does it for like three plus hours. Yeah, you need stamina, man. I, I know, mean, come man, on, for sure, go. for sure. But basically, Brent, kind of what we went over a little bit was, you know, some of your tweets that you put out with Dave Caldwell saying Yannick Ngakwe is the number one priority. I liked what I heard there. And he also used the verbiage, which I was a big fan of, saying he's going to lock him into a long-term deal. Or, or the goal is to keep him in long-term. That means it's beyond the franchise tag. That means that they're willing to negotiate a long-term deal. We also talked about a little bit of Doug Maroney, Delaware, and the staff, more specifically the coordinator spots. I mean, do you keep John Filippo? Do you keep Todd Wash? So we talked about that a little bit as well. And then we just had some sound bites, you know, with uh, Doug Marone talking about maybe a little Coughlin jab with a $500 fine. And then, <laughs> then also, funny. yeah, that was fantastic. And then also the whole communication thing where he talked about the last game of the season, he kind of found that right formula of, of the communication that he's looking for, um, you know, of, of just, I guess, the formula that he's looking for to be successful as a head coach. And my big complaint, my big gripe, Brent, was the fact that it should not take you 16 games into the season to realize that. You know, that's something that has to happen halfway through the season. What what was your overall thoughts, Brent, from that, that press conference that just took place? And just uh, to clarify, you say that shouldn't take 16 games. You mean it from a ShodCon ownership standpoint, right? Yes, or correct. You... Well, okay. no, yeah, exactly. Yes. It means, like, hey, if the communication is bad, let's do something about it. Exactly. Okay. Uh, that's a, You know, here's the deal, man. i got to give you a lot of credit because um, – there was some, I told Doug Marone this uh, as I walked out of there kind of with him um, out of the news conference because I had to ask something, and they wouldn't give me the damn microphone, but that's all right. Um, but I wanted to ask him anyway, and, and I'll tell you what I asked him in a little bit because it's nothing like earth-shattering, but I wanted to know a little bit. So anyway, I told Doug Marone even this, and I was thinking of you because if we go way back to – I think it was the Yannick Ngakwe stuff, right? When you had, uh, and even the Jalen Ramsey stuff. Uh, so there several points throughout the year, and you used the word communication quite a bit. And your concern was the communication in the building, the fact that, say, Jalen for 24 hours hadn't talked to Jalen Ramsey. At least he, uh, Doug Marone didn't say that. Or maybe the Yannick Ngakwe stuff, we all know, that reached a stalemate, so we're all concerned about the communication there. Uh, so I was thinking about you a little bit because, to me, what I heard in that news conference is not a lot of details of how we're going to fix things. I wish they had said more. Mm. But I also heard communication a lot. And, and it didn't necessarily was the word, but you got the indication that because of the structure of this, which is why I've always said it's un, not sustainable anyway, you have Tom Coughlin who comes with this air about him because he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. Around here in these parts, he was revered. Because you have that position, Dave Caldwell, uh, Doug Marone, that three-headed monster, if you will, and then I think you do even, if you want to work this in and make it a little bit more complicated, you have an owner that has a lot of interest going on, is not always right here in town and in the building, in enough, but not all the time. And then you even have Tony Khan, who I think is involved in some way, although we're still unclear exactly what his role is all the time. So, uh, and I don't want to be disrespectful to Tony. I'm just saying there are, those are the five people in play. 
So when you get to that, it's like if you're the head coach, who do you talk to? Who are, are you the guy leading the charge? You know, when you run a college football program, you're the guy. You know what? You talk to the president and athletic director when you need to, but quite frankly, you're more the guy than they are the guy on a college football team. You know, Nick Saban runs the university, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So you, your message is sent from the top down, essentially, when you're Nick Saban, when you're even maybe a Dan Mullen at Florida. People know what you want to accomplish and do, and it's one voice. This, this, by the way, what I'm saying here is this, oh, this is why they're coming back. This was the right move. This was. This is why they should have done this. No, I'm just telling you what I heard in that news conference is that there was definitely not one voice in that building these last few years. There were too many voices, and the voice that maybe needed to be heard in Doug Marone wasn't allowed to be heard, not because nobody would listen to him. It's just because he wasn't the one voice that it was all coming from, if you get what I'm saying. So I think the communication is an interesting deal here, and that's what I heard will change going forward. Will it be enough? Is that the solution? Can he do enough from a communication and setting things his way in the next calendar year or at least eight or nine months to get it to wins on the field inside that stadium? I have no idea. But I do think that was the broken part of the setup over the last few years. It was the one bit of thing that kept coming back to me. Communication, communication, communication. The Jaguars, at least in this move, Shad Khan has streamlined communication to say, hey, Doug, pick up the phone and call me. Dave, pick up the phone and call me. Let's make decisions. And if you guys can't come to a decision, I'll jump in and help you out with the decision. It is a little bit more streamlined, probably the way it was with Gus Bradley and Dave Caldwell, and I know what you're going to say to that. Well, there weren't a lot of wins, but I'm just telling you that's the difference now going forward from the last three years. We'll see if it pays off. Here's my issue with what you said, though, Brent. Doug Marone, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, including yourself, of any player, of any person that had their finger on the pulse in that locker room, well, it was Doug Marone. Okay, I mean yeah. he's he's the head coach. That's the head coach's job, right? And to have your finger on the pulse in that locker room would mean that he understood that players had grievances. He understood that players were fed up with the way Tom Coughlin was doing things, and he he understood that the culture of that team it was a detriment to the team. Basically, he understood all of that. So for him to know that. And we've heard players speak out how many times Ben said they have Doug Marone's back. It was never Doug Marone's fault. Doug Marone's a great guy. So I assume that players have gone to Doug Marone and voiced their complaints, okay? Absolutely, and by the way, that's the case. Of course. Absolutely. So then I guess here's my issue. And is this more a shod con thing, or who does this fall on? If you're the owner of a business and you're having problems on the field or you're having problems performing in your business – well, who are you going to talk to first? You're going to talk to the guy who understands the employees better than anybody. You're not going to talk to a guy who oversees everything like Tom Coughlin. You're going to go to the heart and soul of the team, and that's Doug Marone. And I assume, once again, I don't know this for a fact, but i got to think Doug Marone went to Shad Khan at least once this past season or at least tried to go to Shad Khan and say, listen, this locker room right now, it's not good. There's a lot of bad stuff happening here, and we got to have a talk about it. Doug Marone absolutely had to go to Shad Khan and say something. My question is, did that meeting ever take place? Did that dialogue ever take place? And then if it did, why wasn't something done when it did? 
let me ask you this though, Austin. Okay, I'm gonna play a little devil's advocate on that one. I'm sure. trying to put myself in Doug's position on this. And again, everything I say, I feel like I have to preface with, listen, I'm not trying to defend anybody. Just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Like, where did it go wrong and, and what can be fixed and will it help? And I don't know the answers to that, okay? And I think Shad Khan, by the way, to your point, made a mistake. I mean, he made a mistake with Tom Coughlin on a couple of different levels. And he got the bump in year one and then not taking that away from him. But he made a mistake on a couple of different levels. One, if you saw the history of this with Bill Parcells, uh, even back with Miami recently, 12 years ago, you knew it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't going to be sustainable. This this situation does not work long term. We've seen that happen. You also knew he wasn't really a personnel guy. He was a coach guy. And it was going to be hard for him to, to kind of not meddle into things and be a big presence in that building bigger than the head coach or bigger than any other decision makers in there. Notably, he was. Mm-hmm. You also... You knew he was uh, – my biggest complaint with Shad Khan going back to Coughlin now in hindsight, again, I have the benefic- uh, the benefit of that, is to say, man, did we go back to 1998 when we're trying to move everything forward around here in Jacksonville and in the building and in the NFL, the key to success might be to be ahead of the curve, and we went behind the curve. So that's where my criticism has been. But getting back to your Marone point, did he have that conversation? How difficult is it? If you're in any kind of business and say, say in my business, all right, I'm the sports director at uh, CBS 47 and Fox 30. Well, I have a news director as well. And so that's the person I report to directly is my news director. And then there's the GM in the TV station. uh, And radio works this way too, but Mm. in TV station. And so that's the boss of the news director and me. And sometimes we have conversations, good relationship. We talk about sports, what we're going to do. We all meet together. But my direct report is to my news director. Well, if I'm not going to try to go around my news director and say something to the GM, if I feel like there's a big problem, I'm going to go to the news director. Well, isn't that the situation Doug Marone was in? Doug Marone's got to go to Tom Coughlin. He's not going to go around Tom Coughlin and go to Shad Khan and complain about all the things. That doesn't look like things are are working too well if you do that. You get my point? Uh, I do understand your point wholeheartedly, Brent, and I do get that. And I guess at the end of the day, to kind of prove your point a little bit, where if Doug Marone did go around Tom Coughlin's back, I mean, how much would Shad Khan buy into it? Because once again, Shad Khan elected Tom Coughlin to kind of, I guess, be that buffer, I guess you would call it. Uh, yeah, and Doug Marone would come off as a guy who's trying to railroad Tom yeah. Coughlin. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so uh, I do understand your point, but I, I get it. But at the same time, just from the player's perspective, where your head coach is supposed to have your back, and all things considered, the players, you know, they had Doug Marone's back. So I think it works both ways. I just feel like if Doug Marone did go forward, which I assume he did, and he tried to set up something with Shad Khan and say, listen, what's what we're doing right now, it is not working. You see it on the field. You hear it in the locker room. You hear it all around. I guess I just can't believe that Shad Khan wouldn't do something about it. But once again, that goes into communication. And what we, if we learn something, and you can, you can take some positive thing away about today, Brent, it's the fact that the lines of communication now are changing. The communication will be more open. And I think Shad Khan's going to have a better feel for exactly what's happening in that locker room. And, and I think that is the one thing, and I'm not sure you feel good about it, Austin. I think that's the one thing that will change. And the way we've just presented this, I just told you, there are five potential voices in that building with power. There, there were. There were. There was Shad Khan. There was Tony Khan. There was Tom Coughlin. There was uh, Dave Caldwell. There was Doug Marone. You know, that's five voices, man. And where do I go? What if I'm a player? Do I just go to the coach? 
Do I go say something to Tony Khan or to Tom Coughlin? Do I say something to Dave Caldwell, the guy that drafted me? Yeah, most of the time you're going to go to a coach. But if I'm Doug Marone, where do I go? Do I go side with Caldwell, who's in the middle of all this? Do I go say something to Tony Khan? What's his role? Does that look like I'm ratting somebody out? You know, so the the... the uh, the lines of communication now, I think, are at least a little bit more clear, and hopefully that helps. I, I think communication is an important part of it. I think the message from the message now falls on Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell to walk in line together, and I think it's crystal clear that this organization didn't have that three-headed monster walking in line together because there's no doubt in everybody's mind that on a couple of occasions this year, Doug Marone screamed down the hallway in front of a microphone at the podium and said, will somebody else come help me here and rescue this thing and tell us why we're doing this <laughs> and why we're having these problems with some of our players. Yeah. And so you know they weren't lock and step all the way down that hallway all the time, even if they got along. That doesn't mean they hated each other, by the way. That means they could have respected each other and admired the job they've done, what they've done, all those things. But it certainly wasn't the best way to go about it, is my point. So what I took away from that meeting is communication. And yeah. does that help? Does that make the big change here in Jacksonville? And I'm not here to sell you that it is, folks. I'm not doing that. I told them. I said, this is a tough sell. I said it straight to them. This is a hard sell right now, man. And you guys got to figure this thing out. I'm not afraid to say that to them. They know it. They're not dumb. They get what's being said around here. And what did I say before I went in there, Austin? I said the way you sell this thing a little bit, and not only sell it, but maybe be successful with it, is you're bold and you get the quarterback. And Minshew right now, to me, is their guy. That's the way yeah. I feel. I think that's the way it should be. I think you've got to ride with them. You know, you've made a lot of moves around here in Jacksonville, whether you're Shad Khan, Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, who have now been around here a little bit. The move I now make, and I still firmly believe before – and after now I left that inside the building, is they said, you know what? I, I think this is what they, they said to Shad Khan. I think this is what he wanted to hear. We're riding with number 15. I think that's the way they're going here. I think they're riding with 15, and they're going to see if this Minshew magic works, this Minshew mania, what's the ceiling on Gardner Minshew. I think that's what they're doing here in Jacksonville. And you know what? I think it's the right move to make. I think it's a bold move because you're also probably going to keep a, an expensive guy on the bench. I don't think they're getting rid of him. And I think it's also probably the right move because you might have found something. And if you think you found something, you better see for sure if you found something in the sixth round, this diamond in the rough that nobody else would give a chance but you found, and he might become your guy going forward. And there's one other element to that, and we talked about it earlier, that you don't do it just for this, but this town loves that. Yeah. This town loves the fact that maybe you're going to ride with Gardner Minshew. They might not like you very much right now in there, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, but they can buy into the fact if you're going to ride with number 15. And so I think that's what's going on here in Jacksonville. I thought that before I went in there. I think that now that I left there. And then I also think Dave Caldwell did a very nice job positioning this the way fans at least can grab onto, and I just heard you talking about it, and that's Yannick Ngakwe. You have to make him a priority. He'd said he's a priority. That will at least appease the fan base. Now you got to go get it done some way, shape, or form. I don't care if you believe he's not worth what they're asking. Find a middle ground. Pay him more than he's worth, if you, even if you think it's, he's not worth that. Keep Yannick Ngakwe around, not only for the future and for the fans, but also for this coaching staff, because one of the strong points of this team, if you're going to be successful in 2020, is to to have Yannick Ngakwe and Josh Allen on the field at the same time. Absolutely. You know, and you mentioned Gardner Minshew a little bit, and 
I came to the realization of Gardner Minshew was probably that shiny object that Dave Caldwell, that Doug Marone kind of dangled in front of Shad Khan in that meeting and said, listen, I know things have not been good, but check this out. We got Gardner Minshew. Check this out. We have uh, some jean shorts rocking here. Check this out. We got a mustache. <laughs> like, people like this. You know, you like this. Let us work with that. So I think Gardner Minshew, like you got you the point, Brent, I think he was a big part of this whole thing. One could argue, though, and this was one of my big topics that I brought up um, when I was going on one of my rants, was the fact that with John Filippo, he does have ties to Nick Foles. The reason why, and there's not a lot of them, but one of the big reasons why Nick Foles is in Jacksonville, not only is the fact that he didn't have a lot of markets to go to, but is the fact that his old coach, John Filippo, is indeed in Jacksonville. And from your perspective, Brent, do you think it's going to make for kind of an unsettling locker room? Because you got to think that John DeFilippo is still a Nick Foles guy. I mean, they won a Super Bowl together. Do you see Coach Flip kind of, you know, campaigning more for Foles? Or do you think it's, it's a clean... It's a clean cut, just like a Band-Aid, one motion right off, and John DeFilippo's team Minshew now. Like, what do you think from that perspective? Well, here's the deal. Doug Marone was not willing to say, hey, I'm going with this guy. Dave Caldwell didn't say, I'm going with this guy, at least in front of a microphone. And so uh, I, they're not ready to go all in like that, and I think some of it is probably because of the conversations that need to take place with guys like John DeFilippo. In fact, Doug Marone said he has two quarterbacks, and he's never really had two quarterbacks that he's really confident in, and so they like that moving forward. But I... Here's the deal, man, and you know this business very well. I think there is a relationship there between John Filippo and Nick Foles. I think that is part of the marriage down here and part of the reason both gentlemen are here in Jacksonville. Absolutely. It ties in. It makes sense. But I also think <laughs> I think this can be a very selfish business. And I think whatever is going to make me successful is important, too. And I think John Filippo, while he might be married to the Nick Foles concept, is also okay if he thinks this other thing might work and make them all successful. They all want to win at the end of the day. And that's part of your job as a coach to say, hey, man, I love this guy over here. I think he can get it done. But this guy might be, right now, this guy might be the, the guy going forward. And I'm buying into it, and we're going to make him great. And that's his job. That's that's Filippo's job. And I also believe if Filippo doesn't buy into that, that might be one of the reasons Doug Marone didn't say all our staff is back. Because they might have those conversations. He doesn't like what he's here. Maybe they do make a change. Although I think that would be not a smart move because you want to keep the same coaching staff, most likely for the quarterback, if you're going to go with Minshew going forward. Why muddy it up and give him a new offense and a new guy and a new voice and all those things? You're already not going to have Milanovic around the QB coach who's worked with Minshew this year. He's going to the Canadian League. So oh, I, I think my point is... Filippo will ride with whatever he thinks is going to win. That's his job to do that, and I, I think the relationship stuff is right on the money, but his job is to win with the guy who thinks you can win. That's Doug Marone's job. That's Dave Caldwell's job. That's everybody in this building's job is to get W's on that scoreboard and make those choices. And it's part of the kind of part of my mantra here the last couple of weeks too, Austin. I think around the quarterback position, part of the reason they didn't bring in more competition for Blake Bortles at times was, well, they wanted to make sure he's the guy, right? Make sure you're the guy. You got to feel good about being this. Own this team. You know, we're not going to give you competition. Somebody, you know, uh, you know, nipping at your heels all the time. This is your team. Make it your team. Own the team. I think we do that with quarterbacks in the NFL. It's a tough guy sport, yet with quarterbacks, we're concerned about their feelings. 
What I say is screw the feelings. Find me the damn quarterback that's going to win. I don't care about the dynamic anymore. Draft one every single year if you need to and find me the franchise guy because it's the most important position in sports. It's a position that they haven't been able to find here in a decade. And so you keep rolling with that and you find that guy until you can't anymore. And uh, I think that's where the point We're at that point. You know, Filippo. hey, I love you, Nick. But this guy's better right now. We're rolling with him. It, 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 the personal relationship can't matter here. Brent, let me ask you one thing real quick. Some of these Jaguars press conferences the past month or so, they've been nightmares, right? With Tom Coughlin trying to sell tickets, <laughs> with, with Doug Marone asking for help. Did you leave this press conference today feeling better, feeling worse, or feeling the same about this franchise going forward? That's a good question. I'll answer it when we come back. We're going to take a break. I'm live at Jags headquarters. Austin back in the studio. Final hour and a half or so of 2019 here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. It's next. Thanks, guys, for staying with us. You know, the players going in and saying that is appreciated. But at the same sense, whoever is the leader, you know, the head coach, you would hope that, you know, the communication would, would work, that those players would feel that way. So I think that shows that, you know, the communication, at least from when I've been here, ha- has improved. I think on both parts. I think me being open to it and listening and setting things up and the players being able to communicate what they think they need to be successful. Count how many times you heard the word communicate in that news conference. Doug Marone saying it a lot. I think it's a big takeaway from this. And what does that say? That says structure. I will give credit to this. Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, even after the news conference, even talking a little bit uh, to them, they are not throwing Tom Coughlin under the bus. So I appreciate that in a way because I think, you know, listen, I think some of the actions, some of the things that will take place uh, could throw Tom Coughlin under the bus and, and maybe point some blame that way. Uh, but I think that will be up for everybody else to decide and not at least publicly and uh, even in some of our conversations, not throwing Tom Coughlin under the bus. I think there's respect for the man. I think they like the man. And I think the whole, I think communication-wise, this whole thing just didn't work. Uh, was that all Tom Coughlin? I think absolutely not. I think that was a little bit of everybody. Um, but Tom Coughlin becomes the scapegoat in the latest one here in Jacksonville. Brett well, Martin of uh, Jags headquarters, Austin Lane back there. And uh, what do you got? Well, real quick, Brent, you know, speaking of, of communication, and obviously it doesn't all fall on Tom Coughlin, obviously. But you have to ask yourself how much of those communication issues that Doug Marone is speaking out against saying that he's going to improve things, well, how much does the original fault fall on Doug Marone, because I take you back to the Houston Texans sideline when there's a pushing and shoving with Jalen Ramsey, and things get very heated. It was a horrible scene on the sidelines. I take you back to a couple days later when you know the media was asking Doug Marone, have you talked to Jalen Ramsey? And Doug Marone just came out and said, no, I haven't. We haven't talked at all. To me, that falls on Doug Marone, because you, you, you don't need Shad Khan, you don't need Tom Coughlin to come in and say, hey, you better talk to Jalen Ramsey to hash this out because you guys got to communicate. To me, that falls on Doug Marone. So I guess my question to you, Brent, is how much of it really falls on the head coach of the team? Yeah, I think that's a fair example, too. And I think, uh, listen, that's an example I was highly critical of Doug Marone in as well, and, I, and I haven't backed off that. 
I think there were two issues there on the sideline before you even get into the communication part. And that could have been a Jalen Ramsey thing, too, Austin. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey might have been hot, and you didn't want to talk to him for a day and let him cool down and then talk to him. Because, like, 48 hours, he had talked to him. But he did get in front of the microphone on a Monday, I think it was, and say, yeah, we haven't really talked yet. So, uh, you know, your point is well taken, and, and that's a fair criticism. My criticism of Doug Marone back at that stage was I didn't think he should have gone to the bench and, and approached Ramsey because, you know, so, in the NFL there's cameras everywhere, so it wasn't going to be a good ending there. And he should have disciplined him right there and sat him out for at least a series or two, and he didn't do that. So I've always been critical of Doug in that regard in that situation, and I think your criticism is fair uh, in that one situation. But I will say overall what Doug just alluded to and how the players played and communicated at least through the media with us is that there was some pretty good communication. I think that's also why Doug Marone said, you know what, i got to break away from from Tom Coughlin here. You know, whether it was training camp, whether it was after the Ramsey situation, whether it was other circumstances, there's no doubt that his actions, Doug Marone said, I got to break away from TC because we're losing these guys. So I got to come rally and rescue this thing. And I think through communication, he must have done that in some capacity. One, because he never lost the football team. They continued to play pretty hard. And two, I think they did defend him. Now, not everybody defended Doug Marone, in my view, but the people we talked to for the most part that you put a microphone in front of, they did. And I, I said to this yesterday, uh, Austin, I said, I don't... I don't think you find too many guys that are going to come out and just lambaste their head coach, their position coach, or other guys. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. We've been around the league long enough. You played in it. And even if you want to do that, you'll do it in private. More so, you'll do it in front of a media member and something that will leak out publicly. You just don't see it very often. Once in a while, you do. And people have their differences. But you don't see it very often. But I found some comments interesting recently. And Chris Conley comes on Jags Report Live with us. Uh, most Mondays, uh, not every Monday, but this was from last Monday, not last night, but last Monday. And I want you to hear a couple of uh, comments from Chris. I didn't play him last week. Well, we only had the one show on Monday. That's why I didn't play him last week. But I thought these were interesting because when we're talking about fixing things, he even mentioned communication to a degree, but also mentioned adjustments. And, Kuz, let's play the one first about uh, the the offensive adjustments, or lack thereof, and this goes back to the Atlanta game. need to adjust earlier. You know, some of the, th the things that we saw in the first drive of the game, going to the sideline saying, hey, this is what's going on, this is what we're seeing, this is what needs to be done in order for us to stay on the field on third down, it didn't happen until the second half. Yeah. Some of the adjustments weren't made by players and coaches until we got later into the game. Those right. things need to happen quicker. Uh, we really need to uh, really just adjust. So one of the adjustments that the Falcons made is they ended up putting their best defensive lineman on our rookie when he was struggling uh, during the night. And we got to make that adjustment, and we got to help him out in that situation, give Garner a little bit more time, really know what kind of guys we're playing in Atlanta secondary, guys that are grabby, uh, get those guys off, and then really just catch those balls underneath when they drop out deep. Uh, that was Chris Conley a couple of weeks ago on Jags Report Live. Isn't that pretty interesting Very. right there? I mean, it's like they noticed some things really from a player point of view or maybe in hindsight on film that the Jags didn't adjust to. The question was to Conley there, it, to keep it in context, was why the struggles in the first half so much? Why are you guys waiting until the second half to at least get going a bit? And it's not like they got going a lot of bit, but at least a little bit more than the first half because there was a stretch of seven weeks, seven games where they scored a combined 22 points in the first half, which is just an astronomically bad 
stat. I mean, yeah. It's almost impossible, it seems like, to do that, given the fact that they had a pretty healthy offense and some pretty decent players, Fournette and Chark, doing a nice job, and Minshew at times, and some of that included a Nick Foles at quarterback. But uh, it, it was mind-boggling. So what did you take away from that, uh, and how much of an indictment on Filippo and the coaching staff and, and uh, I guess the ability of this staff maybe to on the fly or or either that maybe during the week put the proper game plan together? I thought it was very telling, Brent, and I think it was on Monday where I talked about, listen, if you lose a game and you're flying home from an away game and you guys get your butts kicked, one of the very first things you do on that plane, set aside from talk to your family real quick, tell them you know, I love you and everything like that, is that you sit with your position group and you talk about what happened. And nine times out of ten, it goes into, well, why didn't we do this? Why why didn't we have yeah. this play called? Why didn't we adjust here, adjust there? So those conversations always happen. But what I found interesting was this wasn't on a plane, Brent, all right? This was after the film was watched. This was after critiques were made. And this was on your show, uh, not this past Monday, but two Mondays ago with Chris Conley. And he came on the basically said there was no adjustments. And... I like it how we also include the players as well. But you and I both know the players don't make the adjustments. Sure, you can come to your position, go and be like, hey, man, they're doing this, they're doing this. Maybe we should go here. But the players don't have the coaching ability, unless it's the quarterback, unless you're Peyton Manning. But let's be honest, even there, there is some them stoppage. So from that perspective, it falls on the coaches. And with what Chris Conley said right there, there were no adjustments being made. Well, that's not a good look at all because there always has to be adjustments made because there's always the first half, Brent, and there's the second half. And what was the biggest – well, there's been a lot of narratives this year of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and there's been a few things in a negative light that you could say about their identity. But one of the biggest identities that you saw is whether it's on the offense or defensive side of the ball, the second half, the team just got outplayed and outmanned. They did uh, for that stretch. Uh, you're absolutely right. So I think there's two ways to look at it there. I, I thought it was uh, – listen, I appreciate Chris Conley being critical. And, and he had been, and he'd been really honest and transparent, and he was just saying it how it was. So, listen, that's the way it was. I, I don't think um, – I don't think he was speaking out of turn. I think he was being nice about it. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. But he kind of said, coaches, players, we got to adjust. they got to adjust. And we got to do it faster in the NFL if we want to be successful. Okay, Kuz, let's play the other Chris Conley. And that one had to do with the overall feeling in the building about the head coach, the coaching staff, the front office, this whole situation. This one, very interesting. What I'm hoping for is that... What's necessary for for change to take place happens, Mm -hmm. whether that is with the coaching staff that's here, Mm -hmm. that we really take a deep look at ourselves and say, hey, what could we have done better in the offseason? How could we have been better as players discipline-wise? How could we have pushed ourselves farther? And what is it that we need to do from here on out for this organization to have that kind of success? The talent is here. Right. The talent is here. I've played on some pretty talented teams right. and this is one of the more talented teams that I've been on but the way that this team plays together mm-hmm. and the way that this team pushes each other and holds each other accountable is an area that it needs to grow wow uh, that one was stronger than even the first one in my opinion uh, change needs to happen in some way shape or form the question is for Chris Conley and some other players potentially was it enough having Tom Coughlin get fired and this comment by the way came after Coughlin was fired but yeah. I think he was generally speaking. Take away from that one, Austin. 
<laughs> Man, that's very telling. I wish if we would have had that, you know, for the past week or so. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, he listen. Chris Conley is a very intelligent individual. You know, I mean, he's very eloquent, and if, if you watch the show at all, he's he's a very, very self-aware individual. And usually when he speaks, it's probably the truth, right? So when he comes out and says that changes have to happen. Well, you best believe that changes probably have to happen. So to me, it's telling from the standpoint of he gave this soundbite after Coughlin was gone. Now, was this just a year in review kind of from him? Or was this, we're at the standpoint right now, we have whatever, one or two games left, but we need to make some changes because things still aren't working. It's an interesting clip, um, but it's very telling Either way, either this was dating back before Coughlin or after Coughlin, to me it's very telling exactly what was going on in that locker room. Now listen, a couple of things here, okay, uh, from Chris Conley's comments. And I wanted to play him at some point. It just took me until today to play him, but sure. I think it's an appropriate time too. And I, uh, he was so good on the TV show. I think he had a nice year. I think he performed to his contract and maybe even then some. I think he's one of those guys that they need to keep around from a, a veteran standpoint. He's seen good before in Kansas City. And I think that's what was interesting, Austin. He's seen good in Kansas City. He's not only seen good, but he's seen good talent. And he thought the talent was good here. Yeah. Now, all players say that. Everybody thinks their team is so good, and this guy next to him is that good and, and everything. And I think we get carried away with that sometimes. But I thought it was an interesting comment from Conley to say, hey, we've got the talent. That was a little bit of an indictment on the coaching staff, at least from one of the players. Now, I've got to at least say this. I've got to couch it with this. From a Chris Conley standpoint, I think there's pro- – he. you know, you brought up Flip and Foles. Well, Conley and Foles are kind of married at the hip as, as well. So I could see Chris, and he didn't say this. He didn't say it to us and, and everything. I think he's been very professional. I think he caught a lot of footballs from Gardner Minshew. It's not like he doesn't like Gardner Minshew. I just think part of the reason he's here, in fact, I think the sole reason he is here in Jacksonville in 2019 was because Nick Foles was here. And so they have a tremendous respect for each other and a good relationship. So you do have to wonder if some of even the tone of what he just said and what he said really last Monday on Jags Report Live at Top Golf had to do a little bit with that frustration. You know, the fact that the Foles thing hasn't worked, maybe he didn't get a fair enough crack at it coming off the injury, all those kind of things. Because I would suspect that does happen in a locker room from time to time, Austin. No, it absolutely does. And then it also begs the question going forward now, Brandon, what exactly do you do with Nick Foles? I think in a perfect world, you either trade him or he chooses to step away. Well, he's not going to retire. He's made it plan his day that he wants to keep on playing and keep on being a starting quarterback in the NFL. So that's out the window. And let's be honest here. How many teams right now would trade for Nick Foles? Probably not that many with the draft coming up. So you have to ask the question, what do you do with Nick Foles? Do you keep him with that money, or do you cut him and take the hit? Because if you have guys like Chris Conley, who maybe are still in Nick Foles' corner a little bit, and you have a guy in Nick Foles in himself who the last thing he wants to do is be a backup quarterback to anybody, you you don't want a Super Bowl MVP award and then come to another team and be a backup quarterback. You just don't go with that. So you have to ask yourselves, what do you do with Foles? And if you do intend to keep him as a backup, what does that do to, number one, the communication again, but also the team chemistry? Well, I can tell you, I I think this, and I've said this for a long time, Austin, I think you're going to have these quarterbacks on the roster in 2020. There has been nothing that I've wavered from from that. I think it's happening. I think you bite the bullet. Do I believe you can have a 15, 18, whatever million-dollar quarterback as your backup quarterback, which I think will be the case? No, it doesn't look good. But you know what? 
That's part of the bold move I've been talking about. Who cares if it doesn't look good? Eat the money for a year. Put him as your backup. He's a very good backup if you have to go to him and you ride with Gardner Minshew. I don't think you're getting rid of Nick Foles. And even if you do, you're eating a ton of dead cap and probably some other money anyway. You're stuck with Nick Foles whether you like it or not. And that is going to be the case in 2020, in my opinion. I don't see any other scenario. I just feel like the scenario you have to create is he's your backup even at $15 million. Minshew's got to be the guy. No, no, without a doubt. You know, and I guess the only argument I have of that is you have a guy in Joshua Dobbs. Not saying he's Nick Foles, because let's be honest, Joshua Dobbs hasn't won a lot of football games in the NFL. He's been a backup. But if you wanted to talk about a respected organization, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? And Joshua Dobbs was was considered a backup quarterback at the Pittsburgh Steelers. They liked him. They got a fifth-round pick for him. It makes you wonder if you're comfortable with Garner Minshew going forward, Dobbs as the backup, and then just cutting all ties with Nick Foles and maybe try to save some of that team chemistry and try to save some of those rumblings that are probably going to happen if he is a backup quarterback on your team. Another thought or two on that uh, coming up uh, right after this. We'll take a break. One more hour to go in 2019 live at Jags headquarters. Jags are keeping Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell going forward in 2020. We hope you keep us and your Dial locked on ESPN 690 or however you're watching. We'll be right back. <laughs> the idea of uh, a general manager or decision maker sitting in a room and taking making picks by himself is that's not accurate. There there's input from everybody in the organization, and eventually you have to come to a decision. Um, certain teams have different structures and how they do that, um, but my feeling at the places I've been that have had success. Um, when you have uh, thoughtful processes in place with the coaches and the scouts and ownership, um, you generally make better decisions than one person not doing that. Okay, that's Dave Caldwell, Jaguars general manager, and will be for the 2020 season at least. It will be year number eight for Dave Caldwell in charge of the roster here in Jacksonville, with a little help from Tom Coughlin the last few years. And I think that's what he was trying to explain there is, listen, not one person makes the decision. There's a conversation about it and then thought, and then you come to an agreement. I think, actually, Doug Marone put it best later on. He said what he's learned over the years, it's like 97% of the time you're going to be on the same page about decisions. The other 3% of the time, you're either going to try to hash it out with you or, or the other guy, the personnel guy, the coach guy. And then if you can't, then you go lean on somebody else, like maybe it would have been a Tom Coughlin or or a, or a Shad Khan in this situation now moving forward. So uh, that's how it works, apparently, uh, in the NFL, and I think Dave Caldwell is trying to express that. What's been interesting a little bit is the narrative coming out from somewhere that uh, all of a sudden Tom Coughlin would have liked to ride a bit with Lamar Jackson. That's been pushed out there. I assume from the Coughlin camp of some kind. <laughs> but what you know what's crazy about that, Austin, is we welcome everybody back, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN six ninety. Hour number four today. We did an extra bonus hour and we're live at Jags headquarters. I had to dip in there for an hour. Nice job by Austin, uh, getting all your thoughts and, and obviously the big story of the day and one of the big stories of the year, Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone are back. But you know what's interesting about that whole narrative about Lamar Jackson is if it did come from the Coughlin side of things in some way, shape, or form, well, he was in charge of everything. Mm. Like, he could have made the call. Like, isn't that, wasn't, my view is that's what his job was. Like, hey, if I don't agree with you, then I'm going to do this. 
And if I don't think Blake Bortles is good enough to go forward, I'm not giving him an extension. Dave, don't do that. We're not doing that. I've got the rubber stamp, and I'm not approving. And same thing with the draft, especially in the first round. Leonard Fournette, David Bryan, any of those kind of picks say, hey, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. That's my interpretation of what Tom Coughlin was brought in to do. So in a sense, that narrative coming from that side to say, yeah, I really like Lamar Jackson, well, it's almost indicting himself. Yeah. That's what he was brought here to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sorry, when did this come out, this come out today, Brent? Or it came it's out been a couple... kind of floating around a little bit, you know. That it's. I think it was. I saw something in the was New York Times or one of them. Okay. Um, but like, yeah, that, that's well, a, 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 exactly, Brent. And listen, Tom Coughlin's been in the game a long time, and you got to understand where if you truly like a guy, especially at the quarterback position, which is such a coveted position, you're going to do everything in your power to get that guy. You're going to bang on the tables. You're going to tell Dave Caldwell that you're wrong. You're going to tell Shad Khan saying, I'm going to be out unless we bring Lamar Jackson in. So, no, don't don't come out now after you're gone and say, whoa, I like Lamar Jackson a lot, and maybe I like this player, this player. No, I mean, like you said, Brent, if you truly like that player, you had every power, you had every single right to get that player, and guess what? You didn't, and now you're gone, and it's simple as that. Yeah, and that's kind of the finger-pointing, I think, that goes on. And again, I'm not saying Coughlin himself is doing that. You never know who some of the confidence are and people close to him and trying to defend him, and that could come out in some of those conversations. So, again, I, I've got all the respect in the world for Tom Coughlin, uh, what he has done, and I just didn't, don't think it worked here. It was never going to be sustainable anyway, and that's just fact. And, and now, in hindsight, uh, Shad Khan thought, well, Tom Coughlin was a majority of the problem, whether it was his position and title or Tom himself. And so they made that change, and now they move forward. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, an hour to go in 2019, at least on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Do want to update you, Florida State winning uh, on CBS 47, by the way, the Sun Bowl over Arizona State. They were down 9 nothing. They're now leading 14-9 to in uh, the third quarter. Austin, I did not answer a question that you had asked yeah. earlier. Yeah. And I apologize. you got to get me on track sometimes. Sorry, man. I'm all man. excited. I'm almost falling off the back of my tailgate. <laughs> I want somebody to play catch with here during commercial breaks. i got a football in my hand, get and nobody's dropped beer. off a beverage yet. Get that what guy the hell? a beer, man. The last tailgater of the decade in that Jaguars parking lot. Let's go. Somebody get him I, a beer. And not only that, like I can legitimately, after this show, have a beer because yeah. I'm not working tonight. Well, so maybe I'll go to Intuition Ale and bring it back here in the parking lot. I'm not sure I'm allowed to do that, but I might. Well, we're, the, we're the Vita guys. We just need to send them over to you. <laughs> now we're talking. Well, Brent, to be fair, I had to get Uber Eats today because, I mean, it's kind of been a long day. I, I was here early today doing another interview and stuff, and then we started the show early. So I actually had Uber Eats delivered here where I had to run down and get it real quick. So maybe Uber Eats does beer delivery as well. If not, <laughs> they should. That's, that's a million-dollar idea if they don't do it already. Just saying. Uh, oh, stop giving people million-dollar ideas. Let's just do it ourselves. Let's go, let's go ahead and copyright um, that. Hey, and by the way, tell everybody about the interview you did today because I walked in to get the equipment <laughs> and all you. I heard was f bombs yeah. and 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 there was a lot going on in front of a microphone that I'm not sure I was too comfortable with. Yeah, so real quick, uh, you know, All Elite Wrestling is going to be in Jacksonville uh, tomorrow. It is their homecoming. All Elite, uh, All Elite Wrestling Dynamite is back in town, uh, and we were joined by the one and only MJF Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and it's a guy that him and I. I have a little history because when I did one of my very first press conferences of any sport um, in Daytona for Fighter Fest, I actually interviewed him a little bit, and he called me an a-hole from one of my 
that question. So we had a little history. We addressed that in the interview, but that interview can be seen on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. It's everywhere. But basically, I sat down with him today one-on-one, uncensored, and we had about a 30-minute conversation. And uh, we got into a lot of topics. We talked about Chris Jericho a little bit. We talked about MJF's rise in fame. Um, we talked about Ja Rule a little bit and his dislike for Ja Rule and Burberry Scarves. Brent, we covered everything. So, uh, yeah, so if, if you're a wrestling fan or, you know, you know who MJF is, definitely want to check that one out. I'm going to get to the tweet that made everybody mad today that I sent. Also, your <laughs> thoughts, you wanted to get my thoughts on the press conference. That's yeah. coming up. But since we're teasing it, and AEW is going to be right here at Daly's Place. I just saw Tony Khan in there. He's all fired up for tomorrow's show, uh, New Year's Day show. Are you coming over to it, by the way? Oh, absolutely, man. I figured um, you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to be, uh, you know, working the media and everything like that. I believe my family's going to come as well. Ronan's going to. Hopefully we can get to see his favorite tag team, Best Friends. So hopefully he'll see uh, some good wrestling action as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a whole family event. And luckily, uh, I'm not going to go out this this year for New Year's because I have a fight coming up, hopefully. So as far as being hung, hung over the next morning, I won't be. So it's going to be a great day. That's good. Uh, <laughs> by the way, uh, here's a little clip from your interview earlier today. And you can find the complete uh, interview on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690's YouTube channel. I am going to be the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And that's why I wake up every morning. That's why I brush my teeth. That's why I go to the gym. That's why I train. That's why I run the ropes in the ring. It's because I am going to get the most coveted title in all professional wrestling. I am going to get the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And when you get that title... And I want you to come back on the show sometime whenever you're back in town. We'll play this back. When will you get the title? I would say if you're a betting man, if I don't get the title by the end of 2020, I would be very, very, very shocked. I plan on defeating Cody Rhodes if we do get to our matchup, which, again, I doubt. He is an idiot. (laughs) And then after that, I plan on rising up in the ranks to number one contendership, and I don't care who has that chance. Yeah, so that's a little soundbite. Thankfully, we didn't have any cursing in that. He was, was a little worried he was going to have the drop button because we can't remember where all the curses are at. But that just kind of gives you a, a little uh, feedback of who MJF is, if you've never heard of him before. A very well-spoken individual, very driven individual. And probably the craziest thing, Brent, that I encountered in this interview is the fact that he's only 23 years old. And he's only wow. been wrestling for four years now. And, wow. you know... I'm not a wrestler myself, but I followed it for a long time since I was a kid. And, like, I've seen guys come and go. And believe me when I say it, this dude is, uh, he's number one, one of a kind, but number two, has a world of potential. Oh, by the way, I would have just said, hey, when are you going to win it? What's the script say? <laughs> Don't say that, Brent. He'll, see, and that's why I was doing the interview today, and you were not doing the interview. Because I would have probably said it, unfortunately. Anyway, AEW here tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Austin will be here at Daly's Place. Uh, Tony Khan's outfit uh, doing really well. I just saw Tony. I was asking him about it. He said he's having a blast. Awesome. Has a lot of respect, by the way, for everybody that's done this in the past, including the WWE. Uh, what they're doing now uh, is, a, is, is a success uh, here in Jacksonville and all over the place uh, with AEW. All right, back to the football stuff. First, to answer your question that you asked like a half hour ago. Yeah. And that was, 
I think, did you feel better, the same, or worse coming out of that news conference, right? That is correct, because let's be honest, Brent, this year, I mean, as far as the news conferences are concerned, we, we've left a lot of them kind of with a bad taste in our mouth. So, yeah. so leaving that press conference today, you know, with Doug Marone, with Dave Caldwell, do you feel better about the Jaguars? Do you feel the same about the Jaguars? Or is this another one of those cases where it's like, I left that thing kind of with a bad taste in my mouth? Well, listen, it's not the bizarro world of Jalen Ramsey and Tom Coughlin's news conference. This was more Stan Pat. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would learn a little bit more in detail, quite frankly, of what to expect, maybe what the plan was going forward. Maybe a little bit more of a revelation here or there, and I didn't think so. I thought it was a lot of words and a little, uh, you know, a little less... uh, uh, you know, just steak and meat and potatoes of what we're going to see in 2020. Um, so I, I was a little disappointed in that regard. I thought we'd get a little bit more of that, and we just didn't. But I do like the fact that they came out and said Yannick Ngakwe, priority number one, and they didn't hide that. And and mm-hmm. I think that's very important, first internally and externally uh, here at Jags headquarters. And I think the vibe I got about uh, probably is Minshew, not not. They never said Minshew going forward, but the fact that they haven't named anybody, my belief is in that meeting with Shad Khan, in their conversations with Tony Khan, they're saying, hey, man, we're going to ride with this guy. And I think that's what ownership wants to do, quite frankly. So I think that's where it's headed and leaning, and I, and I felt better about I said it before I went in there, Austin, here on the show, and I feel better about it now that I'm out of here, uh, okay. out of there. Yeah. So I, from that respect, the fact that you got Minshew and Jan storylines that I think would – at least appease some folks, and I think they're the right things to say, but also do. I, I feel better about 2020. And then the last thing is uh, the communication part. Can that be the fix? Is that the sole fix? No. But can it help out in this organization? I think it was a problem. When you have a three-headed monster like that, when you have too many cooks in the kitchen, if you will, I think that can be an, an issue, especially when things go wrong. So um, I like that. But I, I'm not going to sit here. I know you're asking me for a concrete answer. Yeah. I probably feel about the same. Okay. Because... I'm I'm just not I, I'm not going to be like oh yeah right, here we go it's time to stump for these guys after that sure that's not where I'm at man I I I think that's uh, that that's just not the way I, I feel right now and and I like both of those guys I really do and do I think they've done some good things more pe- than people will give them credit for yes uh, do I think they can win football games and get this thing going probably but. I also just know the reality of the NFL is this is a weird situation given the results I've seen the last two years and the evidence. So I'm not all in on it until I see something that's got me fired up. And that might take until September, by the way, of uh, next year to see, all right, they put this thing together. They've got good pieces. They added good pieces. They made right decisions. And, and wow, look what they've done. This really is working. And I don't know if we'll even know that for another nine or ten months. So to get back to kind of a tease that I had actually uh, before you got back on, um, and let's be honest, it's not our job to get fans pumped up or to get them intrigued at all. I mean, we just kind of call it like we see it. But I want to get your input on this, Brent. And the question that I have for you is, if you are a Jaguars fan, and I think we have, what, four or five callers when Brent was gone. We had a lot of people call in that were passionate and actually on both sides of the fence. Obviously, the people that were upset were a little more passionate than the ones that were intrigued by keeping Marone and Caldwell going forward. But my question to you is, if you were to talk to a Jaguars fan, you know, a season ticket holder, 
and you leave that press conference, what is the biggest takeaway that you're going to tell them if they're out at the bar tonight? You know, if they're if they're having a couple beers with their friends and they're like, you know what? Well, at least we have this. At least we learned this. What is the biggest thing that you learned from that press conference that Jaguars fans can be a little bit at least optimistic with this team going forward? Good question. Uh, by the way, I am a season ticket holder. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, so, what, what a better person to ask than so, Brett Martino. <laughs> so when I'm having that beverage here after the show in the final tailgate ever this decade, and I'm talking to myself, yeah. here's what I'm telling myself. Uh, <laughs> Wait, hold on. What it, kind of beverage you have when you're talking to yourself that much? you got to be careful. Is, is like Stuart or Marcel there to take no. a photo of, like, a meme that could be lonely Jags fans celebrating in the parking lot. Well, I kind of, kind of feel like the whole show is an indication of that. I mean, it's one giant meme. I'm by, by myself here. Hashtag uh, no more lonely tailgates. I like it. I really, I tried to make a conscious effort not to get that trash can or the Porta Johns in the shot. Uh, but anyway, uh, here's the thing, and I've kind of said it already. Uh, I, I really think the I feel like Minshew's going to be the guy going forward. I really do. Yeah. Like, uh, I think the sense I make of all this, and again, I know that like, you're, you're asking me from the press conference part I what am. gives you that. So if it's just strictly from the press conference, I would say some of the things that were going on here were Tom Coughlin's issues, mm-hmm. and he's gone. So I would say from a season ticket standpoint, be like, hey, I mean, he he helped create a good thing in 17. He's done so many good things for this organization and city and continues to do and will always do, and he should be revered here for what he has done. But these last couple of years and the dynamic with the way the players are right now uh, and, and the game has changed and this whole situation didn't work. It, it just wasn't going to work, and that's gone. And so I guess I would say that, but that's not going to make me buy a season ticket, man. That's what I heard in the news conference. I heard the communication is going to be better. I think... No, we don't not like Tom Coughlin. He didn't do everything wrong, but this is going to make things smoother and better in the building. That's what I heard. But my feel, again, and I will continue to say this, is they're moving forward with Gardner Minshew. And that's what I would say is my feeling. I don't know if I'm 100% right, but damn it, I think I'm pretty right. I think they're moving ahead with Gardner Minshew. And that's what I would tell people from, a, again, I'll go home and tell Ty that tonight. Ty is coming to games, and uh, he he likes coming to games, and Kaylee as well, and they like coming to the shows, and they they like the Jags, and they will ask me about what's going on, and I'm going to tell them, I think you like 15, and you got you bought a 15 jersey this year, and you love the Minshew Mania stuff, well you got another year of it, and I think so, I think that's the case in Jacksonville, um, coming out of uh, today, that's my feeling. And I'm uh, sure. We'll see if I'm right. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm sure jean shorts enthusiasts are going to be excited as well with that kind of news. And and by the way, does that um, does that mean you're going to the ticket office and buying tickets? I don't think so. I, I don't yeah. think so. I I think they are going to lose season ticket members this year. I do. Um, how many? I don't know. I think it's emotional right now, and people love change, want change, want everybody fired. And I, I think when renewal comes about and maybe there is more of a feel, maybe that Minshew is the guy going forward, uh, maybe some of the moves that get made, uh, maybe it's a Yannick situation. I think people are like, all right, let's buy those things again. <laughs> <laughs> because they do like it. It's part of it. It's part of the fabric of this place. But I do think they're going to lose some season tickets. This won't be a record sales year. I can guarantee you that in 2020 to start off uh, this decade. Hey, along those lines, man, um, coming out of today, 
really, this goes back to Shad Khan. I ha- I sent a tweet out earlier uh, in the day, and this I've been getting crushed on this at times, but I think I'm right. In fact, I, I, I actually know I'm right. <laughs> because and, and I want you to, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. I, I shouldn't say I know I'm right, but I think I'm right. Okay. I said, Shot Khan is making this a desirable job in the NFL. If for nothing else, his patience. Gus Bradley and Doug Marone, given four years each to coach the team. Doug with the only winning season in those eight years. A coach knows he will get time in the future if he comes to Jacksonville. I, I don't understand why people are killing me so much for that tweet. That's like fact. If you, if, yeah. dude, well, if, 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 listen, I'll give you right now, okay? Uh, it, it, let's say, let's fast forward to 2021. And let's say, uh, let's say, let's just go right now. Forget it. Let's just say Doug finishes fourth year. Ron Rivera is available. Okay. Yep. And, and the only two jobs that are available, and I, there's more than this, but you just come along with me. Yep. The only two jobs are available are the Cleveland Browns with maybe a more talented roster and Odell Beckham Jr. and Landry and and um, and Mayfield and Chubb who almost yeah. led the league in rushing. Well, and speaking of the Cleveland Browns, real quick too, breaking news is that they let go of their GM John Dorsey is no they longer did. the GM of the Cleveland Browns. And that adds to my point here a little bit, but he's in a GM role, a different role, but uh, but. If, if you're Rivera and you're looking at, wait a minute, they gave Gus Bradley down here in Jacksonville four years and he won like, I don't even know the number, some low number of games, like 16 of them or 18 of them or whatever it was. Yeah. And then they just gave Doug Marone, who had double-digit losing seasons, they gave him a fourth year. And I can pick from Jacksonville and Shad Khan or I can go to uh, Cleveland where they now are on like their eighth coach of the decade. Seriously, given a similar situation, not one that's crazy better, not Dallas versus Jacksonville, where would you go? Well, of course, they're going to take Jacksonville, man. That's a de- That becomes a desirable job when the owner is patient, and you have not 12 months to get it all right, but you have instead maybe 36 months or 48 months to figure this out and get it going in the direction you want. Because when you start something, no matter what you start, kind of like us in this radio show, it wasn't a one-year thing, man. The mm-hmm. vision is 30 months down the line, 48 months down the line. Where are we going to be? Where do we think it's going to be? Well, it's no different if you're a leader of a football team. And so if I'm a leader of a football team and you're giving me two options and one's in Tahiti and one's in Alaska, but you're going to give me four years to get it right in one place and one year in another one, I'm taking the four years. One, for stability for my family, and two, because, well, that's a decent amount of time to go figure this thing out and get it right. And you know what? If I can't do it in four years, then you probably should get rid of me. But if I can't do it in one year, you didn't even give me a chance. See, Brent, here, here's my point, though. And this is me thinking like an NFL coach. And if you truly think that you're going to have a lot longer of a leech in Jacksonville, you may have two, three, or four years of maybe misery to try to make this thing work. If you're a head coach and you're attracted to that, in my opinion, you have a loser's mentality. Okay? And here's where I'm coming from, Brent. If you're a head coach, if you're a successful head coach, and he looks at the Jacksonville Jaguars job, he looks at the team, he looks at the roster, he looks at the schemes that they run, and he meets with Shad Khan. And they're meeting, and and Shad Khan asks him, what can you do? That coach, I guarantee you, in that interview is not going to go, well, you know, 
three or four years, I think we could be pretty decent. I think we could compete for a division and eventually a Super Bowl. No, that coach is going to go to Shad Khan and be like, here's what we do. We do A, B, C right now, and we're going to win next year. That's what we do because it's a performance-based business at the end of the day. And even like in our radio show, Brent, yes, of course, we're in this for the long haul, obviously. But every single day we ask ourselves, what are new ways that we can reinvent ourselves? What are new ways that we can get better, get better ratings, and improve? It's never-ending progress, no doubt. But we don't have the mentality where it's like, well, you know, hopefully in three or four years we're going to be fantastic. Yes, we got to think like that. But we also want to win the day and day after that and the day after that. So from that perspective, I just feel like if you kind of campaign, if you kind of um, parade around saying, yeah, we're, we're the patient team, you know, we're, we're going to deal with you for a while. Number one, that attracts coaches that you probably don't want. And number two, if that's your biggest selling point, you're not going to win that way. But that's just well, my opinion. That's just my Well, you, you're not wrong. And by yeah. the way, we haven't won enough day to day or I'd have a tattoo by now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but listen, I, 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 I am not, don't, I, and again, sometimes uh, even some of the things on social media, whatever, sometimes when you put it in writing, it doesn't come out right. Yeah. I'm not saying the guy doesn't care if he wins eight games or four games or 12 games in year one, two, or three. I'm saying if it doesn't work out immediately, they're not getting rid of me. Like, there's a little leniency. It's like this, man, in, in my opinion. If you could say you're Yannick Ngakwe. Okay. And take some of the angst out of it, okay? So take some of the, you know, the, the button heads and, and the feeling right now. But if you could go. If I can sign you to a one-year deal for $19 million, which is essentially the franchise tag. Correct. Or I can sign you to a four-year deal worth maybe it's $17 million a year, so it's a little bit less annually, or maybe it's 18 okay? Um, but it's a four-year deal, and it's, like, guaranteed. Um, you're, you're not going to, like, say, oh, I only want to get four sacks this year. No, you're going to go play your ass off, and you're going to try to get 12 sacks, 15 sacks every single year. But wouldn't you be foolish to not go get the four years guaranteed instead of the one-year deal? Um, yeah, Brent, but to be fair, if you talk about Yannick Ngakwe, supposedly he was offered a contract this year, and he, choo- he chose to bet on himself, right? And listen, I- I'm not saying a coach probably doesn't think about, listen, we-, we have a little bit of a leeway here, and that's attractive. That would be attractive to anybody. Anybody would take that over having one year to make this thing better, and then all of a sudden, if it doesn't work, you're out of here. Obviously, the Jaguars' job in that perspective would be more attractive to coaches. But I'm just saying the way coaches think, there, there's not a four or five year plan. There's a yeah, I get here's here's how we fix it, and if we can't fix it, then I don't deserve to be the coach. Like that, that's how coaches operate, you know. So from that perspective, I just feel like if coaches look at the Jacksonville Jaguars like, well, at least here we got a couple years of leeway. No, they don't think like that at all. And Shad Khan doesn't want those guys. So I think at the end of the day, is it one of the selling points of the Jaguars? Not in my opinion. But obviously, at the bottom line, at the end of the day, it could help, yes. Well, screw you and the rest of Twitter. But uh, uh, <laughs> i, I got to go in your mentions, man. I haven't seen this tweet today. i got to uh, see yeah. what you're rocking well, with. And listen, and here's why I, I will disagree with you in this, man. Okay. Because I think I understand what you're saying from a competitive standpoint. They want to go get it done, get it done. If I can't be the guy, I, I'm not the guy. Yeah, 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 to a degree. You know what else they know? Sometimes you only get one chance. And some and I gotta survive. Survival is important in the NFL and in college football when you have one of these jobs. There are so few of them at a high level and they pay so much money that survival is important. 
And I, I know it's just the reality of it. It's that even if the coach doesn't feel like that, his wife does or his agent does. Yeah. And he says, look it, man, that's not a bad deal down there. That owner's going to take care of you. He's going to believe in you. And he's not going to throw you to the side when you lose 12 games in a season. That's important, I think, from a coach's standpoint. I don't know if people want to admit that or not, but I'm telling you, if I did a test and a survey and it was anonymous, I think I'd win the day on this. I, I think it would be more attractive because of the patience and stability that the owner has showed. It's certainly, And at the very least, I'm not telling you that it should be the number one selling point. I'm just telling you it's part of the equation. And at the very least, it certainly doesn't hurt Jacksonville. Uh, it, when you're looking at it as a potential landing spot or a destination for a coach. And that might be the case in 2021, depending on how this next season goes for these guys. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I think we wrap it up for the final time in 2019. The decade is done. The season is done. The year is done. Maybe a favorite <laughs> moment or two. What is this music? Queen B, I'm a survivor, baby. I'm not going to give up. Is that what this is, Coos? Yeah, Brent said said it's all about surviving. It it is. trial, baby. I like it. That took me a little bit to get that. See, I'm so bad at the first few notes. Oh, man. Don't worry, Brent. We'll send it. That's what you're here for. Exactly. Yeah, you got me. Yep. All right. We'll send it to break with whatever the heck this is. This is this is Destiny's Child, Brent. Show a little respect for uh for the for the trio, man. Absolutely. We're back from uh, Jack's headquarters right after this. I think some of the the ideas that Shad, Tony, myself, and Doug um, have come up with with our coaching staff and our personnel staff and how we're going to uh, go about this in, in February, March, and April, um, I think is going to be something where uh, everybody in the organization is going to be on the same page and, and everybody's going to be moving forward. That's General Manager Dave Caldwell earlier today. We are live at Jags headquarters. Actually did a bonus hour here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. And now we're down to our final pretty much 20 minutes. <laughs> well, Brent, and I'm going to be honest here, man. We're down to our last 20 minutes of, of, of the decade, really, of the show. Yeah. And Kuz, Justin Kuzart, had the quote of the entire decade for our show. It occurred during the break. And to set it up, Brent, we heard Survivor by... Destiny's Child, right? We were listening yes, to that song. We went to break. Brent, could you name the the, the, the members of? Yep, yeah, there it is. Scoos, thank you very much. Could you I knew name you were the sur- do this to me. Could you name the members of Destiny's Child? You don't have to just can you name one. Beyonce. Thank you very much. That's all I was asking for you. That's all I got okay. though. I can't do any more. Like well, who are the other ones? There's two other ones. Kelly Rowland. The other one is Kelly Rowland, who's had a couple hit songs by herself and with a duo. She has short hair. That's all you got to know. But is, the, is she hot? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's aesthetically pleasing, that. if that's what we're given to. The third one, who appeared on The Masked Singer, is kind of the unknown one. So Kuz and I <laughs> were trying to figure out her name. And Kuz started to break it down, and he was like, it starts with an M, uh, Mel, Mel, Mel. And then he just blurts out, Mel Kuyper. Like, <laughs> that, like, that like that was the answer. In which case, I had to go... No, sir, not Mel Kuyper. And then I just walked out. I had to walk out and reset myself, Brent. <laughs> hey, listen, that means Kuz is all ready for 2020. He's already in draft mode, man. He's 
ready to go. <laughs> well, he's, he's already in draft mode. He's already been drinking. Uh, getting ready to celebrate the new year. One of those two. <laughs> I can't believe nobody brought me a beverage down here. Shame on you guys. I know you're listening. I mean, you had to be somewhere in the area. Just drop off. Throw me a can from the road. <laughs> Brent's getting desperate now. <laughs> I feel uh, bad for you, man. You're sitting out there. You look a little chilly. I, I tell you what, that sun yourself. just went down in the last 20 minutes. I had the chin. Good thing I have. Like, I have another coat in there if I need it, but now my eyes are watering. I'm actually cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of a sudden. <laughs> but I'm such a wuss. Yeah. Uh, Going to light the fire tonight, I guess. Uh, hey, anyway, um, a couple of things before we, we'll wrap up on the Jags. But a, a couple of quick. By the way, it's been a heck. It's been so much fun this year. You know, everybody yeah. loves to talk about the year, and I'm not a big, like, uh, you know, a New Year's resolution guy. Or Join the club, yeah, but, man. Join the club. But, you know, I just don't really sit back and reflect very often, and I, I, I don't categorize. Like, I'm not like, hey, this was a great year, or this was a bad year. Like, I, unfortunately for me, I guess I'm blessed, and, and we've had, you know, even if there are things that don't go your way, I don't necessarily say, that was a bad year. Um, and hopefully I don't have many of those to come either. <laughs> but uh, I don't, this was a fun year. It was a unique year. It was a, I mean, from my career standpoint, it was a, one of the most fascinating years, starting the radio show and doing everything we do on TV and everything else, and, and covering these guys, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I said it the other day, think about this. We were at the Super Bowl, right? And Tom Brady became officially the greatest of all time at the Super Bowl. We were at the Masters for a couple of days, and Tiger Woods returned, and he's one of the stories of the year because of it. He wins the Masters. I wasn't there that day, but that week we were there. You know, think about it from a World Series standpoint and a baseball playoff standpoint. Had a local touch with Howie Kendrick having a fantastic year. He's from West Nassau. So you get to cover all these kind of things and be associated with it here in Northeast Florida. And then obviously the Jags and from RV City to Florida, Georgia, and the Players' Championship. And I think one of the forgotten moments this year is the Players' Championship. One of the coolest things was Jim Furyk late in that tournament had a chance to win it in the scene with him and Tabitha his wife it was fantastic it was really cool and then Rory ended up running away with it on the final couple of holes but even that was awesome so all these things we get to do annually uh, this year had a had a really special twist to it from a monumental global standpoint uh, that we get to go cover and we'll be back at the Super Bowl and the Masters and events like that but even locally here you really feel it and what we just starve for is to get years like 2017 with these guys. And yeah. it is so much fun when they win. Uh, it made for good radio a lot this year because of the headlines. So it was a fantastic year to start this radio program. Uh, we appreciate everybody that jumped on board, gave it a chance, sampled it out. Even if you didn't like it, sorry. Uh, but hopefully <laughs> many of you did. And, uh, it, it, hey, the best thing for us, Austin Lane, is that they haven't shut the lights off, man. No, we're going man. into 2020 and we're doing it again. Those lights are still on. We don't have a TV yet, but that's okay because the lights are still on. Uh, yeah, but you know, since we're kind of doing a little reflection and everything, obviously in my case, and, I, and I'm just like you, man. I I tend not to reflect a lot. I've actually reflected a lot on my NFL career now because my job kind of dictates that yeah, uh, yeah. more than I probably ever would if I wasn't on the show. But I, I'm the last person to kind of look back and learn. I mean, I'm just you know I'm forward. forward 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 what's the next challenge what are we doing next and obviously if you look back on this year for me i mean it, it was it was a crazy scene with me and getting this job and talking on the radio talking sports with you um something that nobody else really gave me the opportunity to do something that i went to school for obviously but i definitely wasn't the most uh, qualified person per se it helped that I played for the jaguars and i'm sure it helped that uh i was probably under the a's in your cell phone so it's probably one of the first people <laughs> that you called <laughs> 
which uh, which, <laughs> which actually is me. true. So yeah, exactly my point. So, so so shout out to my mom Julie Maher for naming me Austin because me having the A in my name probably got me the job in the first place. But I, I gotta say, it's been it's been cool to be on the other side. Um, of football, right? Because even when I got initiated into the league, one of the very first things you talk about in that first NFL meeting is like, you have to deal with the media. You don't give them a lot, but you give them a little. You know, don't say anything outlandish. Um, they're here to do their jobs like you're here to do our jobs, but you know, you're not friends and everything like that. And it's funny how, you know, we may have had a couple moments here and there. I saw you in the locker room, but you know, we never really had a conversation. And the fact that that's grown now into what we have organically where, you know, I, I get to see you every single day. I mean, uh, I consider you and Koo's like family. And sometimes you want to kill some family members. Sometimes you want to laugh with your family members. But at the end of the day, it's family, you know. And especially with this job, the biggest thing that I'm taking away, yes, we talk Jacksonville Jaguars. That's that's the main point. But what I'm thankful for of with ESPN 690 is that it's got my attention on other sports, on, on other very cool Cool stories, not only locally, but nationally. I mean, I got to talk to Deontay Wilder this year. I got to talk to Herschel Walker this year. I got to talk about Caitlin Owashi and gymnastics. I got to talk about that uh, Allie Ostrander from Boise State saying that she didn't feel really hot right now in the steeplechase. I, I would have never known who Allie Ostrander is unless I was on this show. I got to talk about TJ McConnell more than I ever imagined to, and more and more <laughs> stories like that. So Carson Pickett. Carson Pickett, man. Like The list goes on and on and on. So from that perspective, I'm just happy that, number one, I get to come into work every single day, have fun with a smile on my face, look forward to you and Coos. But number two... I also get paid for it to, to look up these other crazy off-the-wall stories, these off-the-wall athletes, and share them to the world. I love creating yeah. that. It's been fun. Uh, and, you know, people haven't asked a lot. It's kind of died down. It did Early on when I, when I kind of went on a hiatus for a little bit, people were wondering what was up. And then we started the radio station. We made that announcement and brought you on board. People haven't really asked about that too, too much. Um, and, and I won't really get into it right now, kind of how this all came about. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting to tell everybody how it all came about just because you referenced it. And we probably did this at a time to time, but not very often, is we got stuck with coups, man. <laughs> I mean, like, we didn't ask for coups. For sure. Like, and by the way, that's a two-way street. Coups did not ask for us. That he didn't. Right, Coos. No, the uh, the uh, you could say the Dave Caldwell of our <laughs> company walked in and said, "Hey, we're starting a station. We think you'd be great for it." You don't really say no to that. Building yeah. the culture, man. Building yeah, the culture. Right. It's like, here, do this job and this job, and and Coos has done a really good job. Without he's, a doubt, uh, he's taken a beating at times, but we appreciate it. And there's been a lot, like this whole. The whole video side of this, because, listen, it's an AM radio station with an unbelievable signal, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, we don't have an FM signal as of now, but maybe we make it a success and sometime down the road. But we knew we had to branch it out, so the video has been an, an element that we're proud of, and we're going to continue to grow, and I think we can do more with. Uh, but it's also on all these different platforms, so so many people can get it now all over the country, all over the world. We appreciate everybody that's chimed in from Italy to Australia to London. It's been really cool, and we know back home in Wisconsin for you, Austin, oh, yeah. back home in Rhode Island for me in Ohio, where we have family, uh, people listen, which is really a, a cool thing. So we appreciate all that. But, you know, back to Coos, like Coos, 
gets stuck with us, and, and we get stuck <laughs> with him, and that's true. Like, but we it could have been worse, right? Oh, I mean, it could have been worse. Listen, w- without a doubt, man, and, and I've said it a couple times on this show, and, I, and I've told Kuz to his face, you know, because sometimes I'll hear people say like, "Man, you're really mean to Kuz and everything," but <laughs> but but it's, it's like I said, Brent, you know, uh, a couple minutes ago, it's like. I consider us a family. I mean, I literally have to deal with you guys every single day. Just like in football, in that locker room, they go through training camp together. They go through trials and tribulations. But guess what? You're not on your own. You go through it together. And it's the same thing for ESPN 690. So I always say, listen... And if I'm making fun of your style, Brent, or I'm making fun of TJ McConnell, Kuz, that's a sign that, guess what, I consider you guys family because that's how we do it where I'm from, where if you're not heckling each other, if you're not having fun with each other, then you guys aren't family. Simple as that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And by the way, so the Austin part of this story is, so for like six weeks we're trying to, we know we're doing a show, but we really don't have another, a co-host. I don't have a co-host. So I know I'm doing the show, and I actually knew Kuz was going to be part of the show. Okay. But we really didn't have a co-host. And so I, I wrote so many people's names down. So this is how it works. So even though you're in the A's, it didn't quite work like that, Austin. <laughs> So I write so many people's names down, in town, out of town, outside the box, trying to think of, okay, who would do it, what would do it. Uh, Quite frankly, did not want to steal from the other station, if I'm being completely transparent uh, at the time, uh, out of respect to them. So that was kind of off the list. And so we got all these names, and uh, then I'm like, you know, I just feel like there's more. I've got to be missing something a little outside the box. So I do... Actually, in like mid-December, start scrolling through my phone and my contacts, <laughs> and so, like, I really did. Like, yeah. I actually did that. Like, I would, I would swear on the Bible that yeah. I did that. Well, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not lying. What? I'm pretty sure when I first saw Austin walk in and you introduced me to him, I went, I don't think he was on the list. <laughs> nope. Yeah, he wasn't on the list in some of those early meetings. You're right, and so. I, I found, and I was like, oh my gosh, I came across Austin. I was like, and, and Austin, we've talked about this before, but back in the, in the day, in the locker room, although we, it wasn't a, a large interaction. Yeah. And even in 2017, during the playoff run, I always thought you'd be good in the media in some kind. Good mm-hmm. personality, all those things. So in 17, I think that was the last time I'd probably talked to you. I hit you up and said, hey, could you do a little of this or a little of that? You absolutely TV? did, yeah. And, and it just didn't work out with your schedule and mm-hmm. what was going on. And so that's kind of how this thing came about. Austin's in Wisconsin for like a month on the slopes, <laughs> and we actually put together like a dummy two-segment uh, sports uh, like radio show. Yeah. For like two, I gave him the topics a day before, yeah. and in my car driving home from work one day, I call you up in Wisconsin, and we do two segments like it was live on radio. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of how it came well, about. Well, and, and to that's be it. fair, it's as simple it's, as that. And something I never shared with you before. So for for that for that mock segment. <laughs> So the, the previous day, you gave me some topics that we're going to talk about, and it was you know the Florida Gators, the Florida State Seminoles. So like, believe me when I say I took a day off of snowboarding that day, and believe me when I say I take a day off snowboarding, that's a big deal for me, okay? Because I'm, I'm a snowboarder through and through. So I took a day off, and literally I started with like the beginning, the the you know the the start of Florida Gator football from all their coaches, from all their philosophies, and went down. And then I started with Florida State, and like spent about two hours researching Florida State, their past history, where they're going to go in the future. And I researched all of this. And I think all we talked about in that mock segment was the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I could yeah. do in my sleep. So I was like, all right, maybe put a little more effort than I should have put in. But um, <laughs> but, but it's all good. And it's, it's like I said, Brent, listen, 
you obviously you took a chance on me. I don't know if you saw something or what it was. I wasn't the most qualified guy. I never talked on the radio before, and I'm still getting better. You know, I mean, every single day I'm trying to you know add something to the game to learn and get better. And I'm thankful that I have you know I have guys like Stuart Weber. I have guys like Marcel Robinson who I can just kind of watch from a little bit how they handle their business in the radio and the TV aspects and just kind of, you know, pick a little bit and say, like, you know what, I'm going to take what he's using and add it to my game. And obviously, in terms of take what I'm using and add it to my game, you come up to the top of the list because at the end of the day, you're the boss that makes this work. You're the, you're the cog that makes this whole operation run. And you may not think sometimes, but I'll, I am watching you. I am taking notes of what you do, and I'm trying to add it to my game as well. So I'm appreciative for, for everyone, really, at the Action Sports Jacks team. Well, listen, uh, we're getting a little bushy here. I we are. Give a we really background are. Info. Yep. That's, a, that's a yep. little too much for me. I'm getting uncomfortable, <laughs> and I don't like public affection. For sure. But, uh, but I do know this, and I wouldn't say this if you're on another station, and I've told other people, I think I think what we found here, though, is is one of the – we found, one, I think the video stuff's working. We're taking the show on the road all over the place and ironically ending it today, um, and uh, I think we can at least be an alternative to some folks. Uh, and, and I've never said this, hey, don't stop doing what you're doing, but give us a try. So yeah. if you haven't been able to do that enough, hopefully you can do it in 2020. And I know what we found uh, in, in Austin is a rising star. I think he's going to be a big-time star. We're probably only going to be able to keep him a couple of years. But uh, And one of the most unique personalities we have in town now in sports. And, I, again, I wouldn't say that if it was, you weren't working with me because I wouldn't admit it. But um, – so we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I have no yeah. idea where this thing's going. To be honest with you, in 2020, uh, but we'll see where it goes. And we appreciate everybody for giving it a try. That's the mushy stuff, but there that is go. kind of the backstory of how it all came together uh, <laughs> in 2019. It's been a wild ride, and that's what makes it fascinating. I mean, I will no doubt. I told my wife this way back uh, in last December. I said. We are going to look back on this year, 2019, and it is going to be either something that is genius or the biggest screw-up in my <laughs> professional career. I'm not sure it's either one yet. <laughs> sure, so sure. we're going to have to give 2020 another whirl. Uh, so we'll figure we're, we're, we're going to need a bigger sample size, all right? Yeah, like absolutely. We, we, we don't need a Nick Foles sample size. We need more of like a Blake Bortles sample size. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but, hey, but let's ride like Gardner Minshew, But let's man. ride like Gardner Minshew, man. Let's get that RV and go, baby. And that means one last time in 2019, uh, uh, a dip into the happy hour horn, even though I don't have a beverage. <laughs> shot grab a friend be merry happy new year man <laughs> yeah happy new year to everybody and uh, a special happy new year to the folks uh, vita de Louis, uh martin buckley and mark lowry and all the rest everybody some of the support we've had in 2019 of course from so many sponsors as well rena's pizza and southampton and uh j david tax law the list goes on and on mr chubby's wings i know i, I, I why did i do this i started naming them and now i'm gonna leave people <laughs> yep, you better, you better uh, Jackson, <laughs> all of them right i should have made the list and i yep. didn't and we have uh hopefully a lot of support going forward in 2020 but vita de Louis certainly 
definitely a part of it. This is one of those things that was born in Mobile, Alabama last January at the Senior Bowl. We started the happy hour horde. We said, let's do this thing. And uh, here it is. And one of the other things that was born was Vita de Luis Tequila. It's a locally owned tequila in Jacksonville. And they've had an awesome year, too. Check out VitaDeLuis.com. Uh, we're uh, appreciative of their support. And hopefully you'll support them uh, as well. It is the smoothest tequila you will ever taste. And trust us on that. Just ask Coos. He's tried it many a time. <laughs> Make your own recipes with Vita de Luis tequila. Made in Tequila, Mexico. Shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Good luck to our friends at Vita de Luis in 2020. com. All right. Uh, all the mushy stuff out of the way. All Brent, the fun stuff. It really, what? I wanted to let you know, I'm actually, Vita de Luis is going to take me into 2020. I'm, I'm bringing a bottle out tonight. <laughs> Are you really? Yeah. Yeah, good. That's awesome. That's that's the way to do it. I'm I'm proud of you, man. I know you're a believer in it. I like it. We're not lying here. We've had it. It's going to be a good time. Tequila's good. I might have a shot of that tonight. Uh, So no doubt about it. By the fire to ring in the new year. I like like the way you're thinking, Coos. But drink responsibly, folks. Have fun. Coos, are you listening? (laughs) Okay. Have fun. Be safe. And call Austin if you need an Uber. Oh, no. Not tonight, man. I'm I'm putting that in the back burner. I'm getting some sleep. Austin's going to get a call from me at 2 in the morning. Austin, I need to go home. Yeah, I know. All right, hey, let's put a bow on this. Uh, did an extra hour, hour today. Actually, we weren't even thinking about doing a show today until the news broke, and so we did four hours here from Jags headquarters. Uh, we got the Senior Bowl coming up, a lot of draft talk. We'll be at the Super Bowl. We'll be at Daytona. We'll be at the Combine. We'll be at the Players. We'll be at the Masters in the draft. We've got a lot to get to here in the first three, four months of uh, 2020. But let's not uh, kid anybody. 2019 did not end on a good note. Uh, Tom Coughlin fired. Uh, the Jaguars a mess on the field, a mess off the field, quite frankly, a lot of different times from Telvin Smith to Jalen Ramsey to now what is not a popular move here in Jacksonville on the last day of 2019, and that is Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone back at it one more time in 2020. They've got to fix this thing, Austin. That's what I've determined. I've come to that. How do you fix it? Can they fix it? Will they fix it? Murphy's Law says it should be fixed by now. More than one mm-hmm. winning year in the last 12 years that at least I've covered this football team. That's not the way the NFL is built. This team, this organization, this franchise, they have to figure it out. The fans deserve it. I think a lot of hardworking people in that building deserve it. I just don't have the complete answers. Maybe Gardner Minshew going forward could be the answer. What a ride it would be in in the 2020s decade if Gardner Minshew is the real deal. You're absolutely right, Brent. And and you know me. I'm not necessarily always on the sunshine and rainbows uh, float there that you're always running, but... Sunshine and rainbows. Thank you, Kuz, one last time, right during the new year. But to be optimistic... How, how do you, you know, how do you try to salvage what's been happening the past two years now? And, and that's obviously winning football games. And I think if you're going forward, yes, maybe if you're a Jaguars fan, you didn't want to see Dave Caldwell get his job back. You didn't want to see Doug Marone get his job back because the performance on the field has been lacking. But at the end of the day, history has shown us, and not, and facts have shown us that the fact is that the quarterback position is the strongest position that is tied to how long a coach can stay a head coach and how long a GM can still have a job. And at least now, we don't know what we have in Garner Minshew, but you have to be intrigued. Why? Because the numbers say so. The analytics say so. 
the it factor of just watching him on the field says so, his teammates say so, and at the end of the day, maybe all it takes is a guy with jean shorts, a headband, some aviator sunglasses, a crazy mustache, and a wild personality to really bring out the best of a football team and to really save a franchise uh, that that's in such dire need of winning. So if I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm taking that into the new year, and I'm all on the Gardner Minshew bandwagon. Yeah, me too. It's really uh, it's my Jags New Year's resolution. Just ride with them, man. See what you got. See what you got in Gardner Minshew. You tried it with Blaine Gabbert. You had David Garrard. You tried it with Blake Bortles. You tried it with Nick Foles. It hasn't worked in the last decade. Maybe Gardner Minshew can make something happen in the 2020s, and at least in 2020, the one year. We'll see if it works. Hey, we got a lot more to come in 2020, folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks again for trying us out. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Happy New Year to you and your family. From everybody on the Action Sports Jacks team and here at ESPN 690, for Coos especially in Austin Lane, thank you so much for a good 2019. Can't wait to do it again. We'll take tomorrow off. We'll be back on Thursday, and then it's a ride into 2020. And hopefully you're along for that ride as well. See you guys. Happy New Year. Nice work. Happy New Year, Brent. Coos, Happy New Year, man. Happy, happy New Year to everybody. Year. Have a good one, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.